T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody, along with Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, big show today. Um, really good. Tell us your story. Actually, I'm not going to get maudlin, but it is the last uh, character we are doing of the 108 Tell Us Your Stories we have done. Same number as Seems on a Baseball, somebody reminded me, Ray. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, that's a good one today, and somebody I know was important to you to get. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't want to wrap up the Tell Us Your Story series um, without getting Ron Jaworski, you know, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've known Ron since he, well, I covered him. I covered him as a Ram. I covered the playoff game that he won as a Ram when he beat the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, but I really got to know him when he came to Philadelphia and we've been, we've been really good friends ever since. So I knew he had a great story to tell and I wanted him to share it with us. So I can't think of her. If we're going to bring this thing to a conclusion, I can't think of a better guy to be with us than Ron Jaworski. That is coming up at noon. We are soon going to get into the Eagles schedule. I know it's always one of your favorite things to go through all that. And I, <laughs> I promised you, I promised you, I would not make you pick W's and L's. Okay. I, I, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I want to kind of look at how this schedule falls good parts, bad parts, what it means. Um, we are going to, uh, we have a great Shive Sports this week in Philadelphia sports history for you, coming up one of the most memorable Phillies games of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, and for what we're watching today, Ray, I asked you to produce your five favorite shows. I think I asked you the 20th century. You kind of reached back, or 21st century, excuse me. You reached, <laughs> back, you reached back a little bit before that. No, no, but. I sent you a later email. When I, I reread your email, and I said, oh, 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 I see what he's going I, I, for. I know, so, I know. So um, I did, one of the ones I had on there was really, really old school. I mean, like black and white TV. Yeah. So I, I dropped that one, and I replaced it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we got that going. But we do have to start with the... Travesty of a man of a sham of a mockery of a fraud of two travesties that was the end of the Philadelphia 76ers uh, season, um, which is really dominating right now. And once again, Ray, they are out in the second round, five straight years, early exit, four times in the second round, which of course follows five years where they, they didn't even make the playoffs. Right. Do you know that you can be old enough to vote this year and not have been born the last time the Sixers were in the finals? I hadn't done the math, but yeah, I guess that's that sounds right. Nine years into the process, and they are right back. Remember this word? Purgatory. Yes, we know it well. So they had the breakup news conference yesterday, and we learned we learned two things. Uh, General Manager Daryl Morey said Doc Rivers is definitely coming back. Your thoughts? Surprise. So I, I really thought when they went down the way they went down, games five and six here, uh, and the sight of that. What you know is, I mean, there were 
a lot of things that we can talk about about the last game that they lost to Miami. But to me, if you're Josh Harris or anybody in ownership of that team, the most chilling thing to me was the sight of basically two-thirds of the fans getting up and leaving with five minutes still to go. No, the team quits, so why not? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's so – I mean, I really kind of thought, well, if they go out in this round, Doc's not surviving. And then seeing that, I thought, well, for sure he's not going to survive, but here he is. I wouldn't bet that. Really? Uh, yeah, I think he said that yesterday because he, he either had to say it. I think they're not sure yet. I think that they would be delighted if Doc ends up getting that Lakers job and it takes him off the hook. I would say, that this, in my mind, Doc's 50-50 to come back. I know what they said. I'm not totally buying it. All right. Well, I actually think that, that that scenario that you lay out there, that he goes to L.A., might be best for all concerned. Do you bet, except for Lakers fans. But right. yes. <laughs> other than that, great. Okay, number two, the other thing we learned, uh, I guess we know, but we are seeing uh, is that James Harden, who has a, I'm going to say this number slow, Ray, $47 million option for next year, said, hey, I'll be here. I'll be back. Uh, he was. Uh, he, he said he would pick up his option, uh, and then he was after if he would sign an extension. He would be eligible, Ray, to make a max $275 million uh, deal lasting through 2027. Would he be willing to take less than $275 million off of that uh, performance he gave? And he said, whatever it helps to take this team, continue to grow. Hmm. Well, that's very gracious of him. <laughs> so they're stuck with him. Yes, they are. I mean, they're really stuck. This was this was the deal that both teams lost. Sixers uh, Brooklyn was the deal that was bad for both teams. Right now, you would have to say that, and yes. maybe long term worse for the Sixers if they get stuck with this. Yeah, it could be. Could be. I mean, would they? Would they try to move him this offseason? Yeah, good luck. What, to what? Good luck. I mean, I mean yeah. Well, this, all, was all, his, this was his fourth go-around, right? Right. And so the other teams he either – he basically generally quit on or just kind of stalled in the clutch. Who the heck's taking this on? Or, or if somebody – if you do get somebody to take this on, you, you foisted Ben Simmons on them to get this nonsense. Right. What are you going to take back in return? Well, what you could do – and there's – no shortage of these cases in the NBA is some other team's headache. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, some other team's right. hardened. I mean, could you? Yeah, I'll just offer you a name: Russell Westbrook. Okay, another aging, yeah. unhappy, malcontent player making way too much money. <laughs> oh. So, so you're trading your you know, you're trading headache for headache. Let's is see. that is that move the needle for you? I don't think mumps. so. Which would I rather have? Hmm. Herpes or shingles? <laughs> Probably shingles. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, you lay it out correctly, and, and I, I don't uh, – NBA fever, catch it. The the other prevailing thing about the playoffs and the part that infuriates Philadelphia fans and I'm sure infuriates an honest old-school guy like you was the lack of toughness in this team. They're supposed to represent us. They're supposed to be the embodiment of us, and they were just the opposite. They were not clutch. They were not tough. They were not a team. Um, Marcus Hayes wrote a good line yesterday. Uh, he said, lack of effort, mental toughness, body language is crappy. You can tank for talent, but you can't tank for heart, mm -hmm. which I thought was a good line. Daryl Morey starts his news conference yesterday praising the Heat. Quote, they really went out there and took it. We need some of that toughness. Uh, 
Hold on, I can't read my own writing. We have one of the best, if not the best players on the planet. We have to do better. And then you saw the commentary during the series from guys like Barkley and Shaq, um, who are ex-players who've, who've been there, right? Shaq sure. won titles. Barkley got to a finals. He's a Hall of Famer. And they criticized the soul and the toughness of this team, including Embiid, by the way. Right. And I don't know if you saw the Tim Legler skewering of James Harden. No. As as just, you know, a, a guy who's who's essentially lazy and soft. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I'm trying to think of what my question is to you. My question is to you, how how discouraging is that as a Philadelphia fan that this team just doesn't have it? And 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 I don't know how they go about getting it. Right. I mean, they're they're locked into these guys. That's the problem. Yeah, you're kind of locked into the to the cast that you have now. I mean, the mean. I mean, you can you can make moves on the fringes. I mean, you know, the, you know, the eighth, ninth, tenth guys on the bench. But I mean, what does that really change? Nothing really. I mean, you're talking about if you're talking about what defines your team, it's it's those core players. It's those guys, and you know, they're the guys that let you down in this. And and the way things are structured right now, you can't move them. I mean, you you really can't. So. You know, as as much as Daryl Morey <clears throat> tried to spin this thing every which way he possibly could yesterday, um, you know, with the idea that well, you know, we kind of put this team together on the fly, and we didn't really have a whole year, but you know, now now, now we're going to have a full training camp, we're going to have a full season, and yada yada yada. I don't know that anybody's really buying that. I mean, I think you kind of saw what this team was. The only thing that matters in pro basketball now is what you do in the postseason, and you had a full postseason. Uh, and when it came right down to it, those last two games, you weren't nearly good enough. And in the end, you looked like you quit. So where do you go from here? I don't know. They gave up. They did. And that's despicable. And that's, you know, and that's why the fans were leaving the building in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's, you know, Philadelphia fans and the people in this city have seen a lot of bad teams over the years. And, you know, they've probably lost more than have won their share. Um, but they'll hang with you if they think that you're giving them an honest effort. If they think you're out there competing, they'll stay with you. But when you when you quit uh, the way this team quit in the second half of that game against the Heat, you know that's when they get up and leave. And when the fans get up and leave, if you're ownership, you better pay attention. Yeah. And by the way, ownership to me is the top of the list of blame. I don't know if we have time to do that They're today. part of it. I may do that tomorrow. They're Just, part you know, of it. Oh, I, I, I start it with Josh Harris. You know, through all of the GMs and all of the coaches and all of the nonsense and the process, and the, and it's him, the guy who owns the New Jersey Devils and is trying to buy the Denver Broncos and owns some British soccer team and is a dilettante who isn't really one of us. No, far I, from it. I I I put him at the top of the list. Um, and by the way, just the last thing for me on this is the one guy who I love, who just always played hard to the end through it and. He gives me – this is my hope for the future is Tyrese Maxey. For sure. For sure. I mean, a, a, just a, a kid that gives you all-out effort on the good days and on the bad days. I mean, okay, the last game he was one for seven from three. Not a good day. But did you ever have any question that he that he was not competing? No. I mean, he was playing – I mean, the shot wasn't dropping. There wasn't anything going right. But he was out there giving you 100% effort. God, I mean, some of the stuff that I saw Harden do – was just awful. I mean, you know, throwing a terrible pass, turning the ball over, and then just not even going down the yeah. court to pursue. I mean, the just, slow the slow jog back on yeah. half-hearted jog to defense. I mean, that's we're stuck with that. That's guy. A, I mean, that's if if you're a real professional and 
let's face it. I mean, he is a future Hall of Famer. He right. will be in Massachusetts one of these days, with it, except, you know, watching his bust get buffed and put on the shelf. But you to, to have a performance like that in an elimination game when you're home court um, is really it's embarrassing for any player, but particularly a guy of his stature. All right. I want to spend a couple of minutes at the start of the show because we've got so much going on. The Eagles schedule, you saw it come out. Uh, my take on the schedule has always been it's impossible to predict games after middle of October because you don't know what teams are going to be healthy and what teams aren't. You don't know who's going to emerge. You know, the two years ago the Bengals were what four eleven and one, and right. then last year they were in the Super Bowl. It's really, right. it's really hard to project, but you can take some things out of it. And the one thing that I take out of it is, whoever wrote up that schedule did the Eagles such a favor in September. Oh God, yes. Because after starting out last year, two I think they were two and five, right? The Eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they have an opportunity to. To, to win a ton of games, the yes. first five games, they're in really good shape. They are. I mean, they they are. I mean, they could. It's not a stretch to look at that schedule and say, you know, they could be four and zero. And you know, and this team hasn't started a season four and zero since the first year of To. I mean, the first year of To, they they came roaring out of the blocks. What a great year that was. Got to what seven, eight, and zero or something before yeah. they lost in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. But I mean, this team hasn't started four and zero since then. Yeah, let me just tell people: Lions on the road, Vikings at home, Commies on the road and the Jaguars at home. So we get to we get to cheer Doug Peterson before we get to boo Carson Wentz at home. Right. Yeah. Right. That's it. I mean you and you know there's a lot honestly there's there's I looked at the schedule and I said wow, if you're the Eagles you have to be really happy. I mean the three road games late in the season, okay, you you don't like to have three in a row on the road late in the season, but you do. But you finish up with two home games against what teams that I figure are going to be beatable, the Saints and the Giants. So if you are in the mix late in the season for either the division or a playoff spot, it's nice to have those last two games at home against teams that you figure to be favored against. And, you know, they, they don't have to get on a plane and fly to London. You know, they don't have to go to Berlin and play one of those stupid games over there. So they don't have any of that. I love that you're going, Ray, even as you go out, you're keeping your anger over that stuff. That's good. <laughs> I, just, I just hate those things I so know. much. I, I but they don't, so they don't, have to, they, don't have to disrupt their, they don't have to disrupt their season to do one of those nonsensical Public relations tours. Um, they yeah, that's an odd number of games now, but this year you get the odd game at home. They've yeah. got nine home games as opposed to eight on the road. Nice. They have five prime time games, which yeah, is a lot. I don't love that personally. <laughs> as, the, as the guy does the pregame shows, uh, it's, I don't love those, and I don't love those two games at home in January sitting out there freezing. But that's just me being I selfish. I figured that. But that, the thing about having the issues. thing about having five prime time games, you've got four of them at home. Yeah, and we all know what an advantage the home team has under the lights. It just it just is, and you got you got four of your five are at home, and the one that's on the road is against what figures to be a bad Houston team. Yeah, although that's the Thursday game, and I hate Thursday road games. But yes, all things being even, it kind of mitigates as as best as it can. Um, I agree with all of that. Something else I heard you say was, uh, I guess, when you were on with Angelo earlier in the week, that they're they're. Doing a good job of avoiding the league's elite quarterbacks this year. Yeah, well, when you saw what the good quarterbacks, the really good quarterbacks, did to this secondary last year, um, every time they played a good quarterback, they got shredded. Well, you look at this schedule, how many of those quarterbacks are you playing this year? Right now, I, I count one. Yeah, I, you know, in terms of a really elite quarterback, pick-you-apart quarterback, they got Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. Um, I was looking at 11 of the 17 games you play – 
will be against teams whose passing offense is ranked anywhere from 20th to 32nd last year. So if you and I, I think, both agree that right now the biggest question with this team is their pass defense. It is their secondary. Definitely the secondary. They've done well, nothing to improve the secondary. Yeah, so right now, the way your schedule looks, you're not going to be facing a whole lot of really good quarterbacks that could uh, beat you up in that area. So I think that's to their advantage, too. Yeah, I like the schedule a lot. Um, last year, it got easier toward the end of the season, uh, which got them into the playoffs this year. It's kind of the opposite. It gets tougher. Um, they face the as you said, they've got those three consecutive road games, Indy, the Packers. No, I'm sorry. Got Giants, Bears, and Cowboys. Giants, Bears, and Cowboys on the road. Yeah, well, well, the Giants are going to, I presume, be bad again. The Bears, maybe. Cowboys, they'll be the Cowboys. Um, but, yeah, I think I think this schedule, if, if you're Jeff Lurie, if you're Nick Sirianni, and, you know, you got news of this earlier this week, you were just delighted by all this. Yeah, well, you knew. Here, here's a couple things you knew going in. You knew you were still in the NFC East, right. which meant which meant you had six games that figured to be winnable. Right. Although every other team in the NFC East feels the same way. They all feel they're the same the way. They're the same in Washington. Hey, we get to play the Eagles twice. Well, but they're not all wrong. I mean, the, the division is what the division is. So being in the NFC East gives you six games that you free. Right away, you figure you got a shot at. And then you're out of division games. The divisions that you play outside the East are pretty easy divisions. It's the AFC South and the NFC North. So... I mean, just on the basis of that alone, you figured to have a pretty favorable schedule, but I kind of thought that the way it laid out for them, um, I thought it was really good. I mean, I was on with Ange yesterday. He was down at he was down at Borgata, and he said he was looking at the board, and they were already posting the over-unders for wins in the season. And he said, Ray, what do I do? I'm down here. I can place a bet, and I'm looking up at the board, and it says— uh, he, He's got 20 bucks burning a hole in his pocket. He said, <laughs> he said Eagles, eight and a half wins. And I said— if I were you, I'd bet the over. Well, Ray, I know when it comes to gambling advice, you're the guy I usually go to. No, always. I was right about something not that long ago. What was that? <laughs> I actually did I actually did give one of your inadvertent gambling tips that paid off. Oh, it was a Sixers one. Remember they were playing on or they were, they were just coming off a terrible performance and they were playing a like a, a Clippers team that was like playing its twenty eighth straight game on the road. I, I don't I, and I said and I said, Oh yeah, you know, said Bet the Sixers and lay the points. And and that was a night I think they scored like 140 or something. Uh, last time we saw that. 215-592-9494. Let's get Warren in Gwynedd Valley. Warren, you're uh, upset with those Sixers, aren't you? Um, I don't think I'm as upset as the uh, season ticket holders. Okay. So I'll, I'll take a backseat to them. They they deserve the most uh, anger and angst at, at this team and, and management. Um, but quickly, uh, uh, Eagles point that with their quote unquote easier, uh, schedule, I feel that they have the weight of the entire city on them. Uh, the way, uh, Bryce Harper's elbow is bad and the team is playing and the, uh, the angst with Joe Girardi at this moment. So already we're looking ahead to the fall when, uh, when the Eagles, um, have their opening, uh, season. So I, I wish Nick Sirianni and the team all the best as they, um, they have the, the sports weight of Philadelphia uh, <laughs> on them. Well, listen, um, listen, listen Warren, I, I don't know. I know these, these the, the, week, the games of this week have been starting late, so maybe you haven't been following it, but the, uh, the Phillies are not going to cover off the ball out on the West Coast right now. 
Oh, I know, but it flies uh, better in the West Coast until they come back east. Well, not necessarily when you're playing the Dodgers. <laughs> the Dodgers, <laughs> Dodgers had the best DRA in the National League, and the Phillies have torn them apart the last two days. So the Phillies, uh, look, I, you know, I was not nearly as optimistic about the Phillies as Glenn was uh, earlier this year, uh, but I think you are starting to see a little bit of what Joe Girardi has talked about, is that this offense, which has been largely dormant early in the season, looks like it's starting to awaken, and uh, this, this past week has been, I think, pretty encouraging problem is the Mets are uh, on pace to win about 130 games. Yeah, the Mets are just the, the Mets are too. But I mean, this is really impressive. I mean, the Seattle, okay, you take two or three, that's good. But I mean, to go into LA and play the Dodgers, the Dodgers had only lost two home games all year and the Phillies beat them back to back. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Ray, as, uh, as you are preparing to uh, walk into retirement, uh, you are seeing the benefits of the designated hitter in the National League. <laughs> you know, you're, you're right about Harper that. If, yeah, if there was no DH, otherwise. if there's no DH, Bryce Harper can't even play right now. Right, and as the Mets will run away with the division, you're seeing the opportunity with an expanded wild card for the Phillies to make the playoffs. Right? Yeah, so, all of that. All of that. All of that appears to be coming true. All coming together for you. 215-592-9494. Oh, I forgot this. Oh, oh, oh. As as you um as you're retiring at the end of the month, I am trying to get some of the people who um have been closest to you over the years uh, to do segments. We got Ron Jaworski for Tell Us Your Story Day. Mm-hmm. Merrill Reese is going to join us at eleven. Oh, how nice! And we're gonna we're gonna talk to Merrill maybe a little about the Eagles, but I'm going to go back to those days at Temple University, <laughs> where Merrill Reese discovered young Ray Diddinger. Well, he was the first one that told me he thought I could do this there job. You, there you go. There you go. Once again, Merrill correct. Uh, and um, another pal of yours is calling in the next segment, I believe. So we'll uh, we'll talk to him. 215-592-9494. Ray Didinger, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Right, Andrew Glenn Mack, 94 WIP. So, I mean, you know, everybody knows the news. You announced uh, last Sunday that you will be retiring at the end of this month. I'm going to miss you big time, as will the listeners. Uh, And I want to carve out a little time each show just to kind of remember... Shows that we did or stuff that we did together or moments and so on. And and one of the, I just want to talk now because somebody posted a picture on social media. I don't know if you saw it because you don't get social media. Your wife does, so maybe she did. Of When we went to Canton. Oh, yeah. 2014. You know how that started? You know what how that happened, right? Uh, honestly, I don't. Okay. I'd never been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I've been to uh, Springfield, and I've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I've been to Cooperstown. I've never been to the Football Hall of Fame. I'm thinking, like, when am I going to go? i got to get there. And I thought, if I ever go, I should go with Ray. And then I thought, 
well, how am I going to get Ray there? Mm-hmm. And then I conceived this business idea, which is we could create a trip. Right. And we could sell it to listeners and we could take listeners there. And we wrapped in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Right. And we wrapped in, we went to a, a, a brewery, a brew pub, a nice restaurant. We, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And we wrapped in, we went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we went to the house where they shot the movie Christmas Story. Right. Um, but so that's how, that's how that came about is I wanted to go to the Hall of Fame with you. So, <laughs> so we did. And, and some, somebody posted this week. And I, I don't have their post here with me. I wish I did. But what they said was, actually, I may. Hold on a second. What they said, okay, yeah, yeah. They posted the picture of all of us. It was like 44 people we took. Yeah, right? I know. It was a big group. We got a Frontier airline plane out of- um, AC, right? No. I thought uh, we Trenton, flew out- Trenton. Oh, it was Trenton. Okay. We flew out of Trenton. We had like a really good rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we put them up in a nice hotel. And somebody posted the picture and said, how many people can say that Ray Diddy gave them a guided tour of the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And I remember this moment. Even our official tour guide was taking notes from Ray. (laughs) We were at some display there, and one of our people said, you know, what's the story with this? And the tour guide said, you know, I'm not really sure. And Ray steps out of the crowd and says, well, you know, in 1963, Norm Sneed, I don't remember what you said, but you had like, you knew the whole thing. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, I, I, ups, I upstaged the, uh, the the Hall of Fame guy. <laughs> but um, but that was a great trip. It was, well, it was your idea. I mean, you came up with the idea, and I thought, I said, well, how many people are really going to sign up for this? And a ton of people signed up for oh, it. Yeah. And we and we had we had just the best. Full. We had just the best time. Now, I, I had been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame I mean, dozens of times. So it, that was nothing new to me. But I had never been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That was fun. And that was really fun. That yeah. was fun. Um, yeah, I remember. I'm trying to remember. You loved Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, right? Correct. That was That was your thing. And I love the Kings. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to appreciate the Kings the whole time, which right. I think you finally conceded you sort of did. Yeah, you sort of won me over. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about, look, we all love the Stones. We all love Elvis. And then we were like going down next tier stuff. Uh, and we that was a blast. We had a great tour of that. And then I have a great picture. I got to post this in the next couple of days. We had an afternoon to kill right before we came home. Mm-hmm. I guess it was the Sunday. And like, what are we going to do in Cleveland that we haven't done? And I saw that the Christmas Story movie had been shot there, and they had a house that was a museum. And so we made it an optional thing. I had actually 25 bucks. Everybody signed up for it. Yeah. They all went in the rain. And I have a great picture of you standing under the Christmas tree with the BB gun. <laughs> holding the holding my Red Rider rifle. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a really good idea on your part, because I didn't even know that that little museum uh, existed. Uh, but it was it was I know I really loved that movie. So the chance to go back there and actually see the house as it existed for those of you who have seen and who hasn't seen that movie at this point that the house is actually the way it was in the movie. They have preserved yeah. it perfectly. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, now I don't know if it still exists as a museum, but if it does, you ought to go back there and check it out. It's very funny. Yeah, it's a good way to kill an afternoon in Cleveland, which is actually we had a great weekend in Cleveland. I told people like, yeah, we're going to Cleveland. What are you crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what was second place? Uh, but we had a great time. And by the way, somebody who was on the trip texted me and said, um, that was the best trip I ever took 
with you and Ray, we all clapped and did the loudest E-A-G-L-E-S <laughs> cheer in front of the Hall of Fame. I remember that. Saturdays and Sundays will be different without our Philly special duo. Not saying goodbye, Ray, but saying maybe I'll see you later. Well, thank you. So, uh, a pal of yours and a pal of mine is, uh, is Annalena to join us. Uh, Philly's own, now the play-by-play broadcaster of the Seattle Mariners, Dave Sims. Dave, so nice of you to check in. My pleasure for, for you, for Ray. Uh, good to hear your voices. Good to be with you, boys, today. Thank you, David. It's great. It's great of you. It's great of you to call in. I I really appreciate that. I I know you called earlier in the week. I tried to get back to you, but the East Coast West Coast thing was just a problem. So um, <laughs> I, I was I was absolutely going to try and track you down, but you did. You called first. So great to hear from you. Yeah, I'm uh, back in the Eastern Time Zone as you know. We're playing the Mets this weekend. Now uh, we're an East Coast swing Mets. Oh, please win, Boston. Win yeah. a game or two, would you please? <laughs> We won one last night. I know. That was great. Didn't beat Scherzer, but uh, beat the bullpen. That Scherzer's spectacular. But, Ray, I just want to tell you, man, great career. I remember I met you when I was an intern many <clears throat> moons ago and uh, you know, always admired your work and you as a person. And I just want to send you the warmest uh, congratulations on a spectacular career and enjoy the heck out of retirement. Wait, please. I'm going to try to, Dave. I'm going to try to. I mean, yeah, you and I go back a long way. I mean, you're a, you're a Philly guy, a, an interact guy. Um, yes, we've, we've, we've talked about all of that stuff. And, you know, I mean, you started out in newspapers and transitioned into uh, TV and radio, much like I did. And, um, and you were always, you're always a good friend. And I'm, I'm just delighted that the success that you've had, first going up to New York and hitting it at the fan and, you know, now doing NFL games and, and the Seattle – I mean, you've had a great career, Dave. Congratulations to you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, it was one of those. Every d- dream was realized uh, up in the playground of uh, North Philly and uh, Mount Airy. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I think that that's um, well. I think you understand exactly kind of how I feel, which is, yeah. Um, I, I mean, this what we do for a living is the greatest living in the world. Uh, it, it absolutely uh, is, right? and right? it's I, it's such a blessing. To be able to make a living doing what we do, but Dave, how great is it to do it in your own hometown? That's the thing that yeah. I've got. That I've gotten, Dave. I've had a fifty-three-year run doing this and never had to leave Philadelphia. I mean, how hey, lucky hey, am I? Hey, hey, uh, you win. Uh, <laughs> that right. is really Seattle. good. That is really good. And uh, yeah, I love. You know, I've been in. I've been in New York now. You know, most of my life more than in Philly, but I still am Philly at heart. And you know, to Seattle and back and forth during the season, but. Uh, Believe me, I'm still. I still always check in on you know see what you're saying about the Eagles. My dad was a season ticket holder. Uh, my brother is a season ticket holder. Uh, pre-pandemic, I was coming up. I had a two, three-year run where I'd come down for at least a game for a home game. Just you know, do that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to. I got to get my tasty cake crimpets. I got to get a soft pretzel with uh, with mustard. I got to go to Del Sandro's up on Henry Avenue. You know, I got to do all my silly things. You know, so. But then you were you were you were on that list. Check out what what's Ray having to say about the Eagles. <coughs> well, that was you know I I really appreciate that, and uh, you know I, I, one of the things I always remember about you, and I don't know if you remember this now, you probably must. Um, was when you were still working in Philly. Right. I don't know if you were at the choir, or if you were at Channel Three at the time, but um, a, the WWF was uh, was swinging through Philadelphia, and they were going to do a big WrestleMania thing at the old Spectrum, right. uh, and they brought. Hulk Hogan and yeah. Mr. and Mr. T in, in for a press conference, yeah. and and somehow you asked a question that Mr. T took umbrage at, and he gave yeah. you the big stare down. 
Yeah, he did. <laughs> it was good. It was good video. It was good TV. Yeah. <laughs> I'll always remember that. Did you? Did you and Mr. T ever patch it up or what? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen him since. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking for you. Yeah, pity the poor. Pity the poor fool. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. Well, Unreal. Dave, uh, it's it's really nice of you to check in. Uh, you know how much uh, I appreciate you and, and you know your relationship going oh, back with Ray. For sure. And uh, don't be a stranger. Absolutely not, boys. And uh, next year with uh, baseball, everybody's playing everybody. I think yeah. the rotation will bring us to Philly next year, so I look forward to checking you guys out. Pre-game show. Yes, sir. All, All right. right, we'll pull you on right, again. Please. All right. All right. See, you well. All right. See ya. Thank you, David. They were here a couple of years ago and I pulled him onto the pre-game show. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Here, there's um, a guy that has, you know, started here and then said, you know, made it really big in New York and then became network. Now he's out in Seattle. So he's traveled far and wide and had a great career. But, you know, he's never lost touch with his Philly roots. I really respect that. Oh, yeah. And just, just an all-around terrific guy. Yep. Uh, let me sneak in a call here. Our pal Les from Ambler is with us. Hey, Les. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. You there? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah we're here, Les. Okay, Ray, I really want to thank you for your 50-plus years of service to this community, and I want to thank your family for their 50-plus years of sacrifice, you know. Putting up with it. Thank thank you, Ray, for endorsing my Ultimate Football League as one of the finest leagues of its kind. Thank you for all the articles I copied and saved them. I'm looking at one that you wrote, that series on uh, Leroy Kelly getting into the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Thank thank you for the books, the play, Tommy and me, the stories you told over the years. I especially remember how you almost flunked out of Temple when the Phillies were tanking back yeah. in the 60s. Yeah, that, that's a true story. Academic academic probation. <laughs> My parents were not happy. <laughs> but it was all Gene Mock's fault. I still insist to this day it was all Gene Mock's fault. I believe you 100%. But thank you also, Ray. The other night when I'm watching the Sixers collapse in front of my eyes and I'm cursing like a daggone sailor, I'm thinking somewhere down in Rittenhouse Square, Evil Roy has steam coming out of his ears too because he's just as ticked off as I am. And it helped me feel a little bit better and get through Friday's work day. I want to thank you for all that, Ray. I'm going to miss you. Love you. Have a great life, buddy. Uh, Thank you, Les. Thank you very much. That's, um, you know, over the years that we've done this show together, which is now, what, 22 if we decided? Is that the number? I think we started in 2000, so that would fit. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, we've had a lot of really good callers, uh, you know, folks that have checked in with us regularly and uh, have become friends, you know, have really become friends. And, you know, Les was one of the first, uh, and Les is still one of the best. It's really, really great to, it's great to talk to him. But what he's saying about, we know how he feels about the Sixers, and we know how he feels about basketball. So I know how heart sick he is today after the way they bowed out this year. Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss Roy, man. I mean, I'm going to miss Ray, but I need an occasional Roy Didinger. Mm. I, I don't know how that that's irreplaceable. <laughs> doesn't come up too often, but when it does, it's so gold. And I know that people discuss, tell you about it. Yeah, they tell me about it all the time. I mean, in, in all of the farewells and all the good wishes and all the things that have poured in this week, I've gotten so many mentions of Roy. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to say before we go to break, we're coming back with a great um, Shibe Sports This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, but um, thinking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, one of the things I learned was one of your lifelong crushes. Mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. Yeah. There, uh, there was showing – she was um, – they were showing, I guess she had just been inducted or was about to be inducted. That was her year. And they had, yeah, they had a whole video montage of all of that year's inductees. So, yeah, I spent a little time in front of the monitor 
watching Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> they had, I'll, right. I'll, I'll admit to that. They, they had the um, they had the film right of the people getting in that year. Right, and then she was just like, "Come on, Ray, let's go." They got like a whole Jimi Hendrix room over there. Like, nah, just gonna yeah, yeah, just, just I'll catch stay here. I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you. I'll right. catch up with you. I just I'll, I just I'll wanna, make I, it to Motown section down the thing. But I just I think I think it's gonna go around for the eighth time in a row. I'll I'll catch up with you, but uh, you know, right now Linda's singing Desperado, so. Or something else. Oh yes, 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 yes. Linda Ronstadt. She was. She was. Uh, she was a, a legit. A legit crush of mine back in the day. She. That's. That's no exaggeration. I. I can't tell you how many times. Every time she appeared in Philadelphia, I was there. <laughs> I. I was there. Irvine Auditorium at Penn. Robin Hood Dell. Um, Spectrum a couple times. Yeah, I thought. I thought she was. I thought she was all of that. Right in here, Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. You know, I wanted to say that it's been a privilege to work with the great people at United Tire and Service. And even though I'm retiring, they are still my guys. And I'm thrilled that this partnership will continue. So visit your local United Tire and walk off with up to $200 in savings on all of your favorite brands like Michelin, Goodyear, Continental, and more. So score big this Memorial Day. Don't drive alone. Drive United. Right, Danger, Glenn Mack. Now it's time for our This Week in Philly Sports History, brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shivesports.com. It's a fun one today, Ray. Mm-hmm. Going to go back to 1979. One of the wildest major league games ever. I'm going to skip right to the 10th inning. The score at this point, Ray, this is baseball. Phillies, Cubs, Wrigley Field, 22 to 22. <laughs> In the tenth inning, Bruce Suter on the mound, Mike Schmidt at the plate. Shake off may have been a thing. There's a high fly to left. Look out now. Look out. It's gone. It's a home run by Schmidt. Oh, brother. Mike Schmidt has just gotten his second home run of the day, and now the Phillies lead in this ball game by a score of 23 to 22. The three and two pitch, he was ready. Suter let it in there and pow. Out of the ballpark over the left center field wall. By the way, the Phillies led that game at one point twenty-one to nine, and almost ble- it was today's bullpen. It is, and almost ble- the more things change, the more they remain the same. Neither pitcher gets out of the first inning. Who was the Phillies pitcher that day? I had it here. Uh, Dennis Lamp was the Cubs. Who was the Phillies? Uh, I'll find it. But the 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 Phillies pitcher had a six-zero lead and couldn't get out of the first. <laughs> Um, well, we've all seen the, we've all seen games like that at Wrigley Field. Yes. What do they say? <laughs> well, the wind's blowing out today. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, a couple of the balls that Schmidt hit that day, the, the, where the wind didn't matter. It blowing in, blowing out, Randy blowing Lurch sideways, blowing up, blowing down. It wouldn't have mattered. Schmidt got all of them, and that that's a great at bat because it's two Hall of Famers. You know, Bruce Suter's a Hall of Famer yeah, too. Yeah, they're closer on that, and and one of the best. And and he was not easy. I mean, he gave Schmidt problems over time. I mean, there are, there are a lot of ninth innings that he closed out with Mike at the plate, but not that day. Dave Kingman hit three home runs for the Cubs that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine what that was like. It had to be an afternoon. Well, it is an afternoon because it's yeah. Light. They had no lights then, right? It, you can see the daylight there. Uh, by the way, Lou Boudreaux was that broadcaster right, right. there, who, the, the former Hall of Fame shortstop who did Cubs games. There's a joke. There's an old joke in Chicago that goes like this. A guy walks into a bar, and the bartender says, hey, the Cubs scored 20 today. And the guy says, did they win? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of truth in that. I, um, I remember I was, uh, I was not there, 
uh, I was home uh, doing something else and got a call from a friend of mine and said, are you watching the Phillies game? You know, I said, uh, no, I'm working on a story. And it, well, turn it on. You know, and I, f- I forget at what point that it was, but, but both teams were in the 20s at that point. And so I actually was watching when Schmidt hit the home run off Suter. But I was, you know, all of that stuff was going on, and I was unaware of it until my friend called me. And I'm, I'm glad I caught the finish of it. That is, you know, that's one of the most memorable games in the history of the franchise for sure. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to have seen that. Uh, let's go to David in North Philly. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, David. Hey, what's up, fellas? We're good. Today is my 42nd birthday. Oh, happy birthday to you. Thank you very much, and I've been listening to you guys from the very beginning. So I'm, I, when I heard your announcement of retirement, there was a collective sound effect that went through my mind. The way um, when everybody loves Raymond, when Ray's mom comes in and she's in distress and she just calls out, Oh, Raymond! It did, that was the sound effect that just went through my mind upon <laughs> announcement. Well, thank you, David. Um, I, I'm, 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 I'm thinking. I saw the schedule, and I heard Angelo. I heard eight and a half wins. I'm just like they can win nine. They can win ten. I'm like I'm ready to go. Throw a few shuckles myself down on that one. I, before, before training camp, before injuries happens, before other things get lined. I think that's a very, very good bet. Yeah, I, I, David, I agree with you. I, I'm, I, it opened at eight and a half. That's where it was Friday at the Borgata when Angelo called me. It wouldn't surprise me if they nudged that number up a bit because I think a lot. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people are going to start betting the over on that. And I, you know, look, I don't bet. Never have. Never will. But I, I would bet the over because I think that's. I think that schedule is very favorable for them. I like in the TV. I looked at all the quarterbacks that were not playing. I'm just like, well, it's Aaron Rodgers. I don't like the Cowboys, but for whatever reason, Dak tends to give us a little bit of problems. Right. Outside of that, I'm I'm looking at you know them. Then the schedule starts us off, and we can get some momentum. Um, the the free row games. Um, it's funny. Look, thinking back over the last ten years. It seems like their three row games tended to lean towards three division games. Yeah, I know that's happened three or four. Yeah, one times. thing they one thing they did this year, Dave, and uh, we got to run. But the thanks as always for the call. Is they they stopped the new tradition of closing with three division games. Mm-hmm. They've ended that. Which I think is good. I like the division games toward the end, but I don't need those as just the last three. Yeah, I think the last week, I think the last week you should probably all be division games. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that really clarifies everything, and nobody's really scoreboard watching. It, it, it helps in that regard. But I don't think you have to make the whole month of December division games. Hey, I was talking with Jody Mack yesterday. By the way, Jody Mack's filling in for you. Uh, tomorrow. Ray, Ray, tomorrow. Ray is not retiring. Ray is going to an event tomorrow, so Ray's taking off tomorrow, just so I don't want anybody to get nervous when they don't hear you. But Jody's filling in. And Jody's very gung-ho about the Eagles signing James Bradbury, the cornerback who the Giants let go. Yes. Um, I may not be as gung-ho as Jody on this, but when I look at the Eagles' secondary <laughs> and I look at Bradbury on the market, I'm thinking this seems pretty obvious. Let's do this. Is there is there a reason to not want to do this? Um, I mean, the only—no, not really. I mean, the only thing you would—if you were to argue against it, it would be on the basis of how he played last year. I mean, last year he did not play well. Last year he did not play up to his contract, that's for sure. Uh, the year before he was very good. I mean, two years ago he was really good. So what do you make of last year? I know you don't watch the Giants 17 weeks a year, but what do you make of last year? Uh, I, he, the drop-off in his play was a lot. 
It, it isn't like it was just a bad game or two. I mean, he just he just had a bad year, and and the year before he was very good. I don't know. I mean, it was you know sometimes you never know. Sometimes guys are trying to play through injuries, and it just really and especially at the cornerback position, if you're trying to play through a a, a slight hamstring pull or something, and you're out there on that island on the cornerback, you can look really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that was it. I mean, he never complained about it. He didn't miss time. But he just had a really off year last year and was making a ton of money. But now, you know, now he's released. You can cut your own deal with him. Uh, a lot of teams' secondaries are pretty well secure. I don't think there's going to be a whole big bidding war for him. Mm-hmm. I would think you can get him at a reasonable price. You could probably yeah, get him. Yeah, one year make good deal, you know? Yeah, I think very much the same way they did with Steven Nelson last year. Right. You know, it was right about the same time. It was after the draft, and, you know, Nelson was sitting out there, didn't have a whole lot of offers, veteran player. They were able to get him at a reasonable price. I would say Bradbury's probably in the same category. And <clears throat> listen, right now, I mean, I don't know what the coaches think of Zach McPherson. I mean, maybe they really like him. But pretty, I don't know. Pretty untested. Yeah, totally untested, totally unproven. I mean, the coaches probably, after working with him for a year, have a better idea what he's capable of. But right now, if you're going to go into the season, I'd rather have a veteran out there. And, you know, to me, Bradbury's the best one on the market. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm in. Uh, let's say hi to Alan. You're on with Rain Glenn. Hey, Alan. Hi. How you doing? Good. Good, Alan. How are you? I am great. I'm a first-time caller, but an all-the-time listener. I get. I thank you for the opportunity to get through today. And I just want to thank you both for the partnership that you've uh, brought to this program. It's been phenomenal. My wife and I listen all the time. We're always enlightened, entertained, and uh, it helps make losing, meaning Philadelphia <laughs> sports, a little easier. So thank you for that. That's it, Ray. We're the ball. Well, That's there you we go. We're, we're, the, we're the therapist in residence. Thank you, Alan. Well, that's on the right. open wound. <laughs> well, that's real nice quick, is, uh, I, I share a little bit with Ray. I'm a Temple grad spend a semester in academic probation and uh, really appreciate, you know, that connection. Ray, are you going to sit on the couch wearing your gear with snacks? Will Maria sit and watch the games with you? How's that going to work going forward? Um, no, Maria will not be watching the games with me. I, I suspect um, the Bulldog may. I don't know if the Bulldog's going to hang he in there for four if, quarters. If, but if you scratch his head and give him a snack, he does. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's probably true. I guess it, I guess he'll hang with me as long as I keep feeding him things. Uh, but no, I, I suspect it's just going to be me and the dog and my yellow legal pad. That's that's how I'll that's how I'll watch this NFL season. And you know that's what? Great. I'm actually I'm, act, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. Thanks, Alan. It's been been a long been a very long time since I've actually just sat and watched an Eagles game. You know, I, but I will. In answer to the question that I get asked a lot, will you continue to take notes? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for the very simple reason that after 53 years of logging every Eagles game that I've attended, um, that's now how I watch football. I can't watch the game without taking notes. So I'll be logging and charting all the same things. I just, uh, but when the game's over, I can. I could just sort of throw them away. I don't have to save them forever. People keep asking me, is Ray going to call into the show? Is Ray going to be like your regular guest? And I, I said, you know what? I'm going to let Ray like enjoy his time. If so, if something comes up where I really need him, I'll give you a call. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll probably be okay. Sure. If the coach gets fired, I'll give you a call. I'll make you a deal. I will, I will not, because I know you really do want to kind of step away. Yes. Short of... Major event. I, w- I'm, I mean, I'll bother you to call you during the week and talk to you, and hopefully we'll go to lunch and stuff. But sure. I, I will not ask you to do guest appearances on the show short of Super Bowl or catastrophe. 
Yeah, I and I appreciate that. And that's kind of the way I would like to do it. I mean, Joe DeCamera it's yesterday. really for your wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, her. I'm not, I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of yeah, yeah, you I don't would, want her wrath. You would be incurring the wrath of Maria, that is for sure. But, I mean, Joe DeCamry yesterday asked me uh, about, you know, will you be coming on the air? And I said, I'd really kind of rather not. Uh, retirement. I'm, I'd kind of like to almost go the Johnny Carson route and just sort of go away. But he said, well, you know, in the summer when Dick Vermeil goes in the Hall of Fame, when we're talking, doing tributes to Dick Vermeil the week leading up to that, you know, would you be willing to come on and yeah. talk about that? And I said, of course, yeah. of course, because that's not really like doing a show. I mean, that's, that's not about me. That's about Dick. So I said, sure, I'd be absolutely up for that. I'd be happy to talk about Dick Vermeule any time, any place. But to, to be, the, you know, to be the, the Monday morning oracle after every Eagles game, no, I'm not doing that. And I promise you I won't call you. But before you get off at the end of the month, uh-huh. we're going to need to go. I'm starting to make a list. Uh-oh. No, no, no. They're, they we're going to need to do the Ali training camp story one more time. We're going to need to do the is it Johnny Miller golf clubs? I always forget. It's Tom Watson. Tom Watson golf club story. We're going to have to do that one. You always think it's Johnny. I don't why know do you always why? think it's Johnny Cause, Miller? Cause I've told golfers, you Tom Watson a million times. Every golfer's the same guy. <laughs> every golfer from that era, they're exactly the same. Yeah, guy. you're kind of right about that. Okay, Tom. Oops, I just wrote down Tom Miller. Uh, we're going to have to play the the you're giving the Boston guys their comeuppance uh, before the Super Bowl. Gonna have to do that once or twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna have to discuss the, the the you as a professional softball player with Johnny Dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. The Moses Malone blowing you off story. We'll have to do that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the others we're gonna have to get to. Well, that's that that's a start. That, that's that, a start. That's what I came up with this morning as I was coming in. Oh, those are I'm I'm fine with all of those. And of course, everybody's favorite, <laughs> Christy Brinkley. Right. I'm just gonna say. I am working hard to try to get one particular special guest before you leave this air. I, <laughs> I've not had success yet, but if I do, Ray. Yeah. I, do I don't you, think Do you there's... have what they refer to as a hall pass? Uh, no. Okay. Well, nonetheless. I, I don't think there is a chance in the world that she remembers that. There's no reason for it. She probably doesn't even... I don't even know that she remembers she was in New Orleans for the uh, fight. That was, that's, not, that's not a watershed moment in her She may carry career. the torch more than you know. I hardly think so. <laughs> All right, let's come back with Merrill Reese. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now. Now, Ray, you are, uh, as, we, as everybody knows, retiring at the end of the month. And I'm trying to bring people on who've known you for a long time, worked with you, been friends with you, and nobody is better uh, equipped at discussing this history than our pal Merrill Reese, nice enough to join us. On this Saturday when, Merrill, I imagine if you're not out on the uh, eighth green, you wish you were. <laughs> no, I'm very, very happy to be here speaking to my good friend Ray Dinger. I want to start with when you first met Ray. I think people know you went to Temple, Ray went to Temple, but you intersected a little bit, right? We did. Uh, actually, I was the sports director of WRTI, which was the student station, uh, probably about four years or three years before Ray took over. And the first time I actually met Ray, I went out to watch a Temple football game at Temple Stadium uh, at Vernon Road and Michener Street, and I looked up into my old broadcast booth, and there was a, a young guy with a blonde crew cut <laughs> and i went up and said hi and it was ray that's the first time i met ray that's right i remember it very well uh it was temple bucknell uh and um 
I was working with, uh, I was doing color, and the play-by-play guy was a fellow named Charles Liebman. Uh, and yes, I we, remember that. And we all know we all knew who you were because you were already in the business. So we all knew who you were. We Merrill, knew you was be- Merrill like a big deal to you. Yeah, he was because no. we all no really because we all knew you know he had been at WRTI, he had been the sports director, he had been he had been doing a lot of really good programming at, at the school, and you know there was a guy named Rich Rusikoff who had been there with Merrill, who was kind of who was kind of the bridge guy. He had been there with Merrill, and then he was still there with us. So he told us a lot of Merrill stories. So. Merle came came through the booth and came in and said, hey, listen, I've been listening to you guys. You do a good job, he said to Charlie and I. And Charlie and I both looked at each other like, wow, this is real validation. I mean, here's a guy that's actually in the business that came in, that actually came went out of his way to come in here and tell us that we're doing well. So, I mean, that was, uh, that was a really nice gesture on your part, Merle. Yeah, well, I was a big deal because I was thriving in Potsdam at the time at $65 a week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got one question for you, Ray. So you're whatever twenty, and Merrill's twenty four, something like that, mm-hmm. right? Did Merrill have that voice at that time? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's impressive, Merrill. <laughs> that's 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 pretty good. Um, okay, so both of you guys start working your careers here. Ray is a newspaper guy. Merrill, you is a, primarily a radio guy. How, how did your careers intersect, or when did your careers next intersect? Well, I, I think they really intersected. When I, this, this, this took quite a while because it was Pottstown, then to Levittown, then the WWDB, then it was auditioning and becoming the summer replacement for Charlie Swift, and from that, the pre- and post-game shows. So when I was doing the pre- and post-game shows and going to Eagles practices, Ray was already covering the Eagles for the bulletin. Right. That was it. And Merle was... Uh... And Merle was working for the radio station and was doing Eagles pre and post. And I was just a really young guy uh, covering the team for the Philadelphia Bull. And I had succeeded Huey Brown, who had been covering them really since the Bednarik days forever. And then he had just retired. And um, the sports editor surprised everybody, including me. Uh, by saying, you're going to cover the Eagles now. I was only 23. I was two years out know, of college. It's, it's an amazing story. You went from high school to covering the Eagles. Right. Yeah. Boy, that that was amazing. That that really was amazing. I mean, your career took off a lot faster than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I didn't I didn't see it coming. I mean, I had uh, I had only been with the Bulletin for one year, and I'd covered, and they hired me to cover high schools. So the previous year, in ni- 1969, I'm covering high schools, I'm covering Andre McCarter, and I'm covering John Capaletti, and I'm covering Philly high schools. Uh, and then Huey Brown retires, and the editor com- calls me over to his desk and says, "Okay, you're the new Eagles guy." And uh, I had to, I had to learn in a hurry, Merle. I had to learn in a hurry. Well, you and you and you did. You learned very, very quickly. And then another very, very close friend of mine was also. I had to convince him to take a job. He was in Trenton at the time, and I had to convince him to come to the Daily News, even though he'd only cover high schools first. And he ended up doing the Eagles for a little while, and that was Phil Jesner. Right. Right. Oh, is that right? Yep. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, Phil had been. Phil was in God, Trenton. That, that, was he a Temple guy too? Yes. Yes. Oh, he and, he and Merle were cla- that, he and Merle were classmates. That pipeline of talent that was coming through Temple at that time, and became the backbone of Philly sports media is really something. Yeah. Well, oh. Merle Merle and Phil were were classmates at Temple, and well, then, not not just at Temple at Bieber Junior High School. I used to throw the football to him in the end zone. He was the tall receiver, and we went through Bieber Junior High School, Overbrook High School, and Temple University. Wow. 
That's pretty special. Hey, Meryl, we were, did, we were in each other's bridal parties. I I did not know that. Yeah, they were yes. really they wow. were really tight, really tight. That's really nice. That's really nice. Um, did you and Ray ever get the chance to work together? Did you ever do shows together? Did you ever write together? Well, we do shows together now because, as you know, I'm on the station of which I am managing partner. Yeah, uh, we have a, an Eagle show, an Ed, a Pro Football Report, once a week. And I always make certain to have Ray on as a guest a couple of times a year. And those are two of our best shows every season. It's always a blast. And I, um, when I was still at NFL Films, um, one year they decided they wanted to do a profile of Merle Reese. Because, oh, wow. Be- because at that time, Merle had become the longest tenured team play-by-play guy in the whole league. Yeah. I, it, he, had inherited that, he had inherited that distinction. So they said, well, why don't we, uh, let's do a profile, uh, an NFL Films Presents piece on Merrill Reese. It was Steve Sable's idea. Uh, and when he said, well, who's going to produce it? Steve said, well, there's only one person I think could really produce it, and I think that's Ray. So they assigned it to me, uh, and it was really fun. I mean, I remember, you know, we did the interview up in your yeah. booth on an off day, Merrill. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you mm-hmm. met us there, and we did the interview there, and um, we sent our film crew out into the parking lot at an Eagles home game and just asked a whole bunch of people to do their Merle impersonation. And that was, uh, and we started we're weaving your questions and answers in and out of people's imitations of you. And it was really one of the most fun pieces I ever worked on. Oh, oh it was. And it reminded me of the time yep. when Angelo was doing a Merle Reese impersonation. He was the sports writers in the morning. And and the it was what was it called morning sports page. Or yeah, something I was like part that. of that. Yeah, and and, and uh, they, he had listeners trying to imitate me, and I came into the newsroom and I picked up the phone and called Angelo, and I said I was Bob from I said I was Bob from Lansdale, and I got on and I just did a regular play. And I didn't win. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we interviewed Merle about we we interviewed uh Angelo about that and he said, Yeah, I think he finished third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Merrill, I I'm, I'm, very good me. <laughs> I'm gonna embarrass Ray for a minute and ask you to talk about kind of what he has brought to this town and this scene over the years. Well, Ray Ray has brought so much you know, I I here's what I love about Ray. He's honest. He is. He is so honest. There are reporters who have an eye, who ha, who still have an agenda. I mean, they they believe this and that, and they're going to find facts and and sometimes opinions to support their agenda. I always felt that Ray has a completely open mind when he attacks a story. Ray will let the facts speak for themselves. He will mold his opinion and move in his direction as he accumulates legitimate evidence. You build a story without a preconceived notion. That's what I love. And the other thing about Ray is he is not a performer. And by that, I I mean that as a compliment. Ray doesn't suddenly go on the air and become a performer, doing something and acting a certain way. When people listen to Ray Dittinger, they're listening to the same Ray Dittinger that that I listen to off the air or that I talked to 10 years ago in a press box. You are, you are getting somebody who is tremendously knowledge, very, very gifted, both electronically and uh, from a written standpoint of journalism in print, but at the same time, such a 
good person. Very nicely said. Hey, before we let you go, uh, let's talk a little bit about the schedule. It impacts you. Uh, by the you. way, yeah. Glenn, I, I just have to add this. I can't. Ray will tell you how many Monday mornings Ray would go on with Angelo, and then he'd go on, and then that would be followed by a phone call from me to Ray so that I could vent and also get Ray's opinion. <laughs> yeah, we did that. We had those conversations many, many times. I'll especially miss those. When, especially when Chip Kelly was here. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, some things I'll miss, some things I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Ray, I, you'll still be getting phone calls from me. I That I'm looking forward to. Uh, as I said, Merrill, before we let you go, the Eagles schedule impacts you as much as it impacts anybody. It came out on Thursday. What's your initial impression? Well, I, I like the fact. See, first of all, I'm not somebody who will ever sit down with a schedule and go WL, WL. You know, I don't do that because I've always believed that it's more important when you play a team than just where they, you know, just that name on the schedule. I mean, let's say they're at Dallas and Dak Prescott goes down the week before or, you know, any of these teams. Sure. And your own personnel, too. You don't know who's going to be healthy. This sport is impacted by injury uh, more than any other. We just saw how much the Sixers could be impacted by injury. But this one, even to a greater extent. So I never take the schedule as a great indicator. But if I, And the other thing is we're evaluating teams on their 2021 performances, and a lot has happened in the draft, and a lot has happened in free agency. So you never really know. But that being said, I like the fact that they open at Detroit because Detroit is a weak team, and I like to see the Eagles get off with a win. Um, I also like the fact that there are five primetime games. I I love the primetime games. I mean, they're more exciting. The build-up all day it gives me more time to be nervous because <laughs> I am always nervous the day of a game. Um, not so much about the, the team, whether they win or lose, of course, I do have my own love for the team, but more about the fact that I've got all of these numbers bouncing around in my head, the going through the, the memorization during the week and the preparation. So even though I have to wait all day for the game to begin, the buildup is just tremendous. And under the lights, I just love it. And and four of them at home. And that's the amazing part. Yeah. You've got five prime timers and four of them at the link. Yeah, the the only one that's that is away, and I don't understand why that's a prime time game. It's at the Houston Texans, right? Because everybody gets a Thursday night game. That's why. So, the, oh, okay, it's their yeah. turn. Yeah. All right. So it's, that's that. that, that you, that's you the one. It. Yeah. But but I mean, I like the way it. I like the way it ends up with the Giants. Yeah. Well, and hopefully the Giants will be as bad as usual, and the Eagles will have a playoff spot mm-hmm. wrapped up by then. Uh, Merrill, it is always a pleasure. You know, I, I always love talking to you, but having you as part of this the tribute that I'm I'm working on for Ray is terrific. Uh, love your time. Love the old memories about Temple University. Uh, and uh, on another note, I'm going to reach out to you and Mike about that thing I talked to you about the other day. Good. All right. Good. Well, thank you for having me on. And believe me, uh, this this entire area, actually the football world, well, Miss Ray Dinger a great deal, and I hope he makes himself available to come on so that we always have an idea of 
of his, you know, where he is thinking, and we benefit from his wisdom. Hey, listen, but, uh, I, just I, I, I'll, I'll be happy to meet you at Chickies and Pizza anytime. <laughs> okay, and and really, I wish you and Maria all the all the best, and I, I hope all of your your dreams from here on in continue to come true. Uh, Merrill, Thanks, Merle. Appreciate well. that. Talk to you okay. soon. Right, bye bye. There you go. He is the best. He's the best. He he is absolutely the best. I, I love him. I really do. I love his. I love his personality, and I just love hearing his voice. I hope he does it forever. And you know what? He might. Oh, I think he <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Longest tenured, and he that's he plans to hold that title. Robert in Germantown uh, has got some some worries about the Sixers. What are you thinking, Robert? Well, first off, uh, for Ray. Uh, the year after Three Mile Island, I was a longtime friend of uh, Pete Seeger's. I drove him out to a concert with Linda Ronstadt. I had a chance to meet Linda Ray, and I will tell you that in real life, she's a wonderful, shy, sweet Latino woman. Ray, that, he shared a car ride with Linda Ronstadt. I know. Ray I, is so jealous right I, now. I, 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 am, I am very envious, Robert. I have to tell you that. And she was really cute, Ray. I mean, she was this sort of you know shy, quiet, beautiful girl. Only, the only song you see and Pete could put together, though, was Red River Valley. It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, that would be good too. <laughs> yeah, she was, and 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 what a singer, man! When she was when she was oh, yeah. at her best, boy, she could fill the auditorium with that voice. She was really, really oh, special. Yeah, and she could sing anything. Second thing, guys, I was actually at that twenty-some odd game. I was at Wrigley Field. Were you? How in, in the world? Did, what were you doing out there? I was in seminary at Notre Dame, oh. and uh, I went to Chicago as all I could because I'm a city guy. I was in South Bend, which is not the city, but they have a, an old ancient train called the South Shore Limited. You don't want to know. And uh, somehow it gets you in and out of Chicago. And I love the afternoon baseball, right? You and I, Ray, we're classic guys. Yep. Bring me an afternoon game all day long. And back then, Wrigley, as you know, did not have lights. Right. And I think uh, when Rick Monday was hitting home runs, too, and Schmidt and... You know, it's just a wonderful ball field. If you guys have never been there, I'm sure you have. It's one of those things you want to do, Ray, in your retirement is hit those old baseball fields. Yeah, That's I've been, I've done, one. I've done, I've done Wrigley, but uh, I wouldn't mind going back. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. Um, that game, uh, a guy texted me, and I think he's right. Randy Lurch was the Phillies pitcher. Okay, and he hit a home run before he even pitched, and he couldn't get out of the first inning. The blade, the blade actually could swing the bat. He yeah. could. Uh, he 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 had a few home runs in his career. I remember he hit a really big one down the stretch in a game against the Pirates at Three Rivers that helped the Phillies win a game. I liked Randy Lurch. There you go. 215-592-9494. Coming up, don't forget at noon, tell us your story with Ron Jaworski. That's a really special one. And by the way, just so people know, we recorded that with Ron before you announced your retirement, so it doesn't come up in that. Right. It was a reason that I tried really, really hard to get Ron, which we were able to do, but um, it's not part of the conversation. But coming up next, Ray Didinger's, tell us, not tell us your story, excuse me, what we're watching, Ray Didinger's all-time favorite TV shows. (laughs) Sweet. You don't want to miss that. Uh, It's all yours, Ray. (laughs) I wanted to say that it has been a privilege to work with the great people at United Tire and Service. And even though I'm retiring, they are still my guys. And I'm thrilled that this partnership will continue. Visit your local United Tire and walk off with up to $200 in savings on all of your favorite brands like Michelin, Goodyear, Continental, and more. Score big this Memorial Day. Don't drive alone. Drive United. Now, as long as we've been doing this segment, Ray, and we've been doing it for a couple of years now, 
which makes me think we should probably re- revise the intros, but whatever. <laughs> it still works. I know, they're classics, but you know, you can't get enough of Caddyshack. Um, typically, I've reviewed TV shows and you review movies. Right. And you don't go out to movies as much as you used to for obvious reasons, but every once in a while you'll have a gem of a movie that you'll review, and I'll mostly do TV shows. Um, and And by the way... Actually, I should run this by you, but I will right now. Uh, We are retiring Tell Us Your Story, which we had a really nice run with. Yeah. Uh, I would like your permission to continue what we're watching after you retire. Oh, please do. I think you should. Uh, The audience really kind of demands it now. People ask me all that. People bring it up when when I do book signings and stuff or I'm meeting people, uh, and they all talk about the show, and we love the show, and we listen every week. One of the things they always say is, God, we love what we're watching. You know, people really look forward to it. So, no, please don't take it away on my account. People, people are really looking forward to it. It's a lot of pressure to find a new show every week. <laughs> oh, listen, there's, there, yeah, the pipeline is just full of British cop shows. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what I wanted to do today, again, you're more of a movie guy than a TV guy, but you have enjoyed TV over the years. Yeah. And I wanted to today do Ray Dinger's five favorite shows. I asked you for the 21st century. I saw your list. You actually changed it, but you still do have one show that well predates the 21st century, but I don't care. It's still in reruns, though, so that oh, sort of counts. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's around and will be forever. So let's start with number five, and uh, this is Ray Dinger's top five TV shows of the last 20 years. The Simpsons. <laughs> that's so funny. By the way, a guy just loved, texted me. Loved, what is, loved, loved the Simpsons. A guy texted me one of his favorite Simpsons episodes is the one Linda Ronstadt did. Oh, yeah. I like yeah. that one, too. <laughs> uh, what it, t- t- give me a little. What do you I, I, just, I, I just thought it was incredibly clever. Um, I remember how it started as a little built-in skit into what? Tracy Ullman, right? It started off as just a little skit built within the Tracy yeah, Ullman much show. More, much more primitively drawn, too. B- at the time. Far more primitively drawn, but the same basic characters, the family, the husband, the, the, husband, the wife, and the two kids. Um, and, um, but it was very clever. And when they blew it out to a half an hour show, I thought, oh, I'll have a nice little run with this, a year or two. Well, it's still on the air. Yeah, forever. Uh, and it's, you know, Matt Groening really created something really special here, and it was... Um, and it still holds up. And I remember reading an interview with Groening where he said the beauty of doing a series like this is if you're drawing cartoon characters, they never have to grow up. It's true. Like the, like the kids yeah, never Bart's have. Bart's eight years old forever. Yeah, the kid, you know, Bart Simpson can be eight years old forever. So that's that's definitely on my list. By the way, I should say that what we're watching is brought to you by Guided Door and Window. Buy any window or door and get a second one at 50% off. Plus, interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Call Guided Door and Window today at one eight seven seven go guida or visit go, G-U-I. DA.com. All right, what's number four? Number four is Saturday Night Live. Uh, and um, I. Wow. I, I, now, I have to admit. Yes, I got to tell you, some weeks it's good and some weeks it's false flat. Well, me. I know. And, and, when I, and that's why I have to qualify this one. I have to be kind of more specific when I talk about this one. Um, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live now for a number of years. Maybe, you know, check in once in a while, but I don't watch it regularly. But when it first came on. In the seventies, man, you—it was appointment television. I remember the first time I saw the it. Original I said, cast. I yeah. said, "Wow, look at!" I I couldn't believe that there was something that groundbreaking on late night TV on the weekends. I mean, normally Saturday night, 
TV is just sort of a graveyard. People are just throwing old movies and stuff on there. Who cares? But real original programming with that kind of talent was, it was almost life-changing for me. I mean, I every Saturday night, I built my Saturdays around, oh, I don't care what you're, anybody else is doing, 1130, I'm in front of the TV to watch Saturday Night Live. So, I mean, I really loved it. I loved the first cast and all those, you know, most of those people have gone on to great things and they were truly magnificent talents. And then over the years, you've had other great people come through there. I mean, the John Lovitzes, the Eddie Murphys. I mean, there have been other years, other incarnations of that cast that mm-hmm. have been great. Um, but that original group, I mean, they're, in my mind, they're true TV Hall well, of they, Famers. They became the backbone of comedy movies for the next 25 years. Yep. The Bill Murrays and the John Belushi's and the Chevy Chases and Gilda Radner's. And yeah, they, they were just great. I, I still watch, what I... What I tend to watch now is I watch the the opening. The cold opening is often very good. Mm-hmm. The first skit is sometimes worth sticking around, and because it's all posted on social media, if there's something good that I don't see, I'll find it. You know, on on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So, mm-hmm. uh, okay, that's number four. What do you got for number three? Number three is the one that you were talking about that goes back a ways, but it is still in reruns and probably will be in reruns forever. And that's Mash. But is uh, this is this my wife's? Did you did you confer with my wife? No, I didn't this? talk to Judy about this at she, all. But she obviously has very good taste. I'll walk into the bedroom and she's watching like a mash rerun. It's like I'm thinking, haven't you seen this thirty times? Yeah, but it was so good. I was it was so good. It was one of the it was one of the best written shows um, that I've ever seen in television. And the thing was, from week to week, you never knew exactly what it was going to be. I mean, a lot of times it was funny. Uh, a lot of it was comedic. But a lot of it was really serious and, and a lot of times carried a really heavy message. And I thought that uh, the writers in there, Buck Henry used to write for it, Larry Gelbart used to write for it. They, I mean, they had some really great writers who put together some really thought-provoking scripts. Uh, and, of course, a tremendous cast headed up by Alan Alda. Um, and I, that was a show that when it first came on, that was, that was one of those shows that was just different. I mean, it was just a jewel on television. And everybody I knew watched it. Still is and always will be the highest rated episode in the history of TV, that last episode yep, of MASH. the final one. Nothing will not ever catch that because TV's not the same. Yep. There's nothing other than sports. There's nothing that everybody gets together and watches. No, that's true. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's good. All right. Number two? Number two. I, it, now, this is one I definitely know I share with your wife, and that's Law & Order. Oh God! You did call her this week. It, no, we we didn't. Cons- we didn't consult on this. We did not consult on this. We did not. It just so happens that we have very similar tastes. I you guess. Put Judge Judy on the list. I'm going home. Uh, no, okay. no. Judge Judy didn't make my list. But this is Law and Order, and um, very specifically, this is the original Law and Order. Okay, this is not SVU. This is not Criminal Intent. This is not some of the various Dick Wolf spinoffs or the new one of the original or the new one. Um, this is the original. Law and Order, uh, with the format of the um, the crime, the investigation, and then the then the trial. Uh, and I just thought it was I just thought it was brilliant that uh, Dick Wolf came up with this idea to do the show this way. And I think and it, the cast has changed many times. My favorite cast actually was the one that I guess came about six years in when they struck upon. Uh, they had Chris Noth and uh, Jerry Orbach were the two detectives. Uh, Jerry Orbach was always great. On who that were show. really, really he was there good forever. Yeah, uh, and then the, uh, the right, straight the, from Dirty Dancing. And then the, the lead, pro- then the prosecutors were Jill Hennessy, who I thought was very good, uh, and Sam Waterston, who t- who came yeah, in as Jack yeah, yeah, McCoy. Yeah, he was good too. Who was really good, and then they had um, the um, oh Stephen 
Stephen Hill, who played the the district attorney. Right. Um, that was I thought that was the strongest cast, and I guess they were together for like four or five years. And boy, they did some great television. That's 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 very good. All right, and through his long and distinguished career as a sports writer and aspiring TV critic, Ray Dinger's all time favorite show. Well. They everybody they heard the music in the background. It it was the Sopranos. Uh, I thought the Sopranos was just, um, I mean, it was television raised to a high art form, and it probably wasn't everybody's taste because it was oh. many weeks. It was many weeks. It was a tough watch. Yeah. You know, the language was pretty rough. Uh, the violence was pretty rough at times. Uh, and let's face it. I mean, it, the protagonist, the hero, was a bad guy. I mean, he was a mob boss. But somehow, David Chase in his writing made that work and made it work for a really long time. And a lot of it was because the casting was so good. I mean, James Gandolfini was just so perfect as Tony Soprano and his, his crew, his gang, the Pauly Walnuts, the, uh, uh, Silvio's, the, um, um, Michael, Michael, and, and as his wife, Edie Edie Falco was was so good, uh, as Carmela, um, and, uh, Michael Imperioli, um, as, uh, uh, as Mike, as the uh, other character, his nephew, um, it was, I, I just thought it was great television. And, you know, it was, there were a couple of years that, uh, it, it, it slumped a little bit, but then it always came back and it was, it was great. I mean, it was every Sunday night, nine o'clock, whatever I had to do, I made sure I was near a television because I wanted to see it. Well, that's uh, that's a great list. It's, yeah, uh, that's five terrific shows. I, I I I think you did a great job there. Oh, well, thank you. There you go. And thank now you. you have all the time in the world to sit around and watch reruns. Yeah, I'm just I'm just occurred to me. Christopher was the name of Michael Imperioli's character. I yeah. couldn't. I was trying to remember the name of the nephew. It was Christopher, yeah. of course. Obviously. Good job. All right, let's get uh, Matt in Ridley. He wants to talk a little Phillies. Matt, hot streak. Hey, one game at a time, right? It was there a good go. win last night. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, brick by brick. So we're okay. We're okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, this um, is this is really impressive. I mean, this time last week, you know, Glenn and I were talking about whether Joe Girardi was going to survive the month of May. Uh, by you the know, way, I, I've and, not I've not taken away that possibility. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but they get they fly out to the West Coast and and they take you know they they win the series in Seattle and then they right. go in and win back to back in L.A. It was, that's I mean that's really impressive. That is no small feat. Yeah. Um, so, right. Once again, congratulations. I, I think you're doing wonderful things, spending time with the family and the grandkids. Thanks, Matt. That's, um, what that's what I'm planning to do. And I had the pleasure of actually briefly working with Dave. Real, real good guy. Always stop down at the ball, ball, ballpark when I'm down there to say hi. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I'm real proud of my son. He's a, he's a terrific guy. Yes. He he's a good, he's a great guy. Um, Glenn, Go back to early 90s, mid-90s, late 90s with Mac and Mac and then transitioned right to you and Ray in 2000. It was easy transition. Great show. Glad you guys have been on for this long. Thank you. It's been really, uh, really a pleasure to listen to. And nice. How old's that baby? Ray had the pleasure of meeting you at the Slacks Hoagie Shack one day. <laughs> oh, okay. Were we doing the show there that day or was we it just happened to stop yeah, in? A book sign, a show oh. and a book signing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so that was uh, that was a pleasure meeting both of you at that time, and uh, like I said, best of luck to you. And um, two 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 other quick comments, if it's okay. Sure. Um, 
tell us your story is just phenomenal. I hope it continues. It's one of the best things that, that you guys came up with, uh, in your 22 years. It's a really good segment. Thank you. I hope it continues. And, um, my best, uh, story, Ray, that I'd like to hear, I, the, uh, Lake Placid story that you tell, I thought that was pretty, uh, interesting. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, which, which, which story? And take care of that baby. Which story? We don't have time for it, but remind me because we'll bring it out. Um, yeah, I don't even. I think what he was well, talking you got about. Sick? No, I, <laughs> no, I think what he was talking it. about was um, after, I think it was post Lake Placid when I went to the White House and met the Olympic team oh, after okay. they had won the gold medal when they, came, when they came to Washington to meet President Carter and the First Lady. All right, we'll get, we'll get that one in, in in the next couple uh, episodes. I'll break that one down. Uh, your pal Mitchie Tools wants to say hi to you, Ray. Mitch, are you with us? Mitch is uh, dealing with a customer right now, I think. Well, it's a real thick one, unlike All right. <laughs> All right, I tell you what. Let's Mitch has got to do business. You know, he's got a business he's, to run. He's calling us from work. I get it. I get it. Uh, we'll come back. We'll grab a call or two. I see some uh, some names we'll get to. Uh, and also, uh, Noon, tell us your story. Ron Jaworski, Rain Glenn on 94 WIP. If you're a Philly sports fan, then you need to check out my friends at Shive Vintage Sports. They're your home for throwback sports apparel in Philadelphia. Now, locally owned, Scheib carries name brands as well as original designs by Philadelphia artists. So if you're thinking of olden days, the Philadelphia A's, Veterans Stadium, Prism, me now, I guess, the next time you need some new gear before a game or you're looking for that perfect gift, head over to Scheib Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut in Center City or online at ScheibSports.com. You tell them that Ray sent you and you will get 15% off. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack now. Coming up, Ron Jaworski. Really good tell us your story. All right, Ray, do I, do I dare try again with this guy? Uh, I think you should. All right. Mitchie Tools may be there. Mitchie, you there? I'm here. How you doing? Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's a, hey, look, you got to run the store, Mitch. We understand. I who's running out with a bag of potting soil. No, I'm just kidding. No. What were you uh, selling, by the way? Uh, again, potting soil now. Starting to roll out in some plants. Okay, good. Stuff like that, right. Ray. Congratulations. Thank you, uh, Mitch. Congratulations. It's it's you know it's I, when I hung up a couple weeks ago. When I talked to you. I heard it. It's like I was you know tearing a little bit. But uh, you are the best, and you guys are fantastic. And but well, you'll still make guest appearances on that and stuff, right? You know? I promise. No. I'm not going to bug him. Yeah, I promise. Um, I mean, it's I got to let the guy retire without having to call in every week. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about Jonathan Gannon. Yeah, Ray. I, we love Law and Order every week. You know, we still watch the old original. I do too. I, I was I watched an episode last night. It was it was actually one I hadn't seen before, which is pretty rare. But yeah. it was they're they're great. They really are. Yeah, you know who is not bad. Uh, Paul Servino, when he had it for a year, he was on there. wasn't too bad too. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the se- he was part of the second cast that came in. Uh, yeah, and bad. and Servino did it for a couple of years, and then they went yeah. to Jerry Orbach, who I think was was the best. I mean, yeah. I think Jerry was kind of the backbone of that show for a while. Yeah. Guys, Glenn, I got a movie for you I watched the other night. Uh, remember The Long Good Friday? Oh, gosh, a great gangster movie. Yeah, Bob Hoskins. Bob yeah. Hoskins, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, that's like the one. Movie. Yeah, oh, that's, listen, we, uh, when I did the Ultimate Book of Gangster Movies with George Anastasia, as you and I did the Ultimate Book of Sports Movies, that was, that was a top 25. You ever see that movie? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. Uh, your pal Jack from Santa Barbara, the dude, Ray, I think he wants to tell a Ray Dinger story. Hello, Jack. Hello. Hello, Ray. How are you? Well, you know, 
I couldn't be happier for you because I totally get where you're coming from, and I think you're leaving at the top of your game, too. Um, I, I met you guys. The uh, caller made reference to uh, Slacks and the, and the book signing. My brother walked me in to meet you guys, and, and I've been talking to you ever since. So when I was home, went Saw you again, 20 years apart at Tommy and me. Yeah, that was a nice and, surprise. Yeah, and, and Glenn teed it up. I mean, he's up on the stage. He's talking to me like the dude. The guy in line goes, I heard you three weeks ago. You said you were coming, and you came. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was really a surprise. Bucks County Playhouse, I look up, and there's Jack the Dude from Santa Barbara. That was a real nice surprise. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It, I mean, you were so eloquent, and and when I look back on it now, I mean, I know you were holding the space for this announcement, and it, it makes perfect sense to me. So, so I'll, I'll tell you the story here. Oh, before that, I want to say that finished business is like listening to those twenty years of storytelling to me. Yeah, You know, from when I met you at Slacks till now, when I read Finished Business, there's so many stories that you share with Glenn that are in that book. So I want to let everyone on Radio Land know about that and go buy the book. It's a, yeah, Jack, thanks, Jack. I, I got to run, but that is a great point. And, um, hey, we got a year out of programming during the pandemic yeah. as you were writing that book. And, and, and yeah, in the course of writing Finished Business, very often it felt like we were doing the show together. Because so, because so much of it was was in both places. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, let us play. Something happened last night. Pickford set at the letters in the pitch home. Harper blasts it deep right field, and that one is gone. Bryce Harper has come through again. It's his third hit of the night. It's his eighth home run of the season, and no doubt about that one. It's nine to seven Phillies here in the top of the eighth. As they win the game twelve to ten, and Bryce Harper, as you heard with that home run, now leads the major leagues in extra base hits. Ray, say it. Thank God for the DH. <laughs> I never thought I'd find myself saying it, but yeah, thank God for the DH. Because he is doing it, as we are doing joined by Dr. David Gelt, our pal from Cooper Bone and Joint. Doc, Bryce Harper is doing that with a small tear in his ulnar collateral ligament of his right elbow. Um, can't throw. Tell us what that means, Doc. So, um, first off, I just want to again congratulate Ray. I know I emailed him earlier, but you know, he's truly genuine, honest, and the rarity in these days, especially in your business, that everybody actually likes likes the person. So, um, <laughs> thank you, Doctor. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So Bryce Harper, he's got a, a partial tear of his UCL ligament. Um. The good thing is, does not bother him with hitting, obviously, because he's still hitting home runs, but. Um, the ligament is a stabilizing ligament. It's really involved with people with throwing, especially with pitching. Because it's just a partial tear, what he's going to do tomorrow, I think, or Monday, he's going to get an injection called a PRP injection, which is called platelet-rich plasma injection. And basically what that is, is going to help promote healing. Um, what it is essentially is you take your blood drawn like you're getting a cholesterol check, you spin it down in a centrifuge to break down the blood products, and you take these sticky molecules called platelets, which are these transporters through all these healing factors and growth factors. And then you actually inject that right where the area is that's injured and it starts to promote the healing cascade. So hopefully it'll help them and 
you won't need to do any surgery or any uh, intervention further. Right. Well, they were saying he's probably not, you know, he's not going to be able to play the right field or throw really for about a month. But um, yeah, yeah. Is uh, is is there any danger that look swinging the bat is you know? There, I mean, there's that's a pretty violent motion in and of itself. Is there any danger that just by taking batting practice or swinging the bat in games that he could uh, that he could worsen the injury? Um, not necessarily. I mean, you use different muscles for each uh, different type of mechanism. So with batting, you're not really using or isolating that elbow and the inside part of the elbow as much as when we're throwing when you put so much force there. So fortunately for him, he's, unfortunately for the DH, he's able to at least play. Um, but yeah, with the PRP injection, it's not something where you inject and then the next day you're back to normal and get better. You have to let your body heal. So they're going to give him a good three to four weeks off, you know, throwing, and then hopefully try to get him back and, and move him along from there. So, Doctor, from a medical perspective, are the Phillies going to make a playoff run? Well, I mean, the last two days, it's, uh, it's been a whirlwind. I thought they were going to blow it the other day, yep. just like the week before. But, uh, you know, it's definitely inconsistent. We'll see if they can put everything together. But, All right. you, know, I, you know where I stand so far. We'll see. I do. And I always appreciate your sports expertise. So when Ray calls it quits, I'm looking for a partner, Doc. Are you consider what you might want to do on weekends? Yeah, just uh, yeah, just uh, give me a call. I'll be, uh, I'll be happy to help you out. There you go. I was, also, <laughs> I was talking with my wife after I heard the news. And just to hear me out, Ray, uh, I think uh, – you know, besides R and R, I think about uh, maybe making a screenplay for Tommy and me, and then uh, casting Glenn for for the movie. What do you think about that? I like it. I like it, Doctor. I'm. Um, there actually is some talk about perhaps taking Tommy and me and bringing it to the screen. That that has been discussed. So um, that isn't why I retired to devote my full yeah. energies to that. But that <laughs> yeah, but exactly. that but that possibility does now exist. Then you can write a new edition for the. Uh, uh, best sports movies. You can put that into it, too. There you go. Doc, you're the best. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. Appreciate All right. it. All right. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank, right. you, Thank so you so much. All right. Uh, he's, he's the best. All right. So um, we are uh, in in a minute or so. We're going to go to break. Ron Jaworski is going to be our guest for Tell Us Your Story. Ray, let's, let's talk just a little bit about him and what he meant to this town. I mean, most of this is going to be in the story, but your careers with his really overlaps, which is one of the reasons I was so glad to get him. Yeah, uh, well, we all know his story. I, I think, you know, born up in your neck of the woods, up in Lackawanna, outside yeah. of Buffalo. Steel town. Um, you know, went to, came from a blue-collar family up there. His dad worked on a lumber yard. His brother worked in a steel mill. Uh, and his dad said, you know, you don't want to work in a steel mill. You don't want to work in a lumber yard. You got a chance to go to college and play football, get an education, and maybe someday you'll find your way to the NFL. Well, he did, and he got to the NFL and played 17 years, most of them, of course, with the Eagles. Uh, and in that late 70s, early 80s period, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Took the team to the playoffs four years in a row. Uh, he was NFL Player of the Year in 1980. Uh, and in that four-year run, only one quarterback in the NFL won more games than he did, and that was Terry Bradshaw, who yeah, was that? playing with a better team than he was. Uh, but Ron was... Um, I always, I always felt, said that Ron, I thought, was the epitome of the perfect Dick Vermeil quarterback, uh, in the sense that he had no ego. You know, if you were going to play on Dick Vermeil's team, everybody had to be the same. They all had to approach the game the same. There were no stars. There was no star system on the Dick Vermeil team. Uh, I mean, everybody was the same, and everybody was treated the same. Uh, and Ron was, as the quarterback, embodied that. I mean, he didn't see himself as any more special than the backup offensive lineman. He was just, he was just a tough, hard-nosed competitor. Um, that after every game, he didn't care how many yards he passed for. He didn't care how many touchdowns he passed for. All he cared about was one thing. Did we win? 
that was his attitude, and that's why he was the perfect quarterback for Dick Vermeil. And I think it's one of the reasons why he was the perfect quarterback for Philadelphia because uh, he's made his home here, and uh, he's he's got he's a large personality, and he's a large personage in this city, and I suspect that he always will be. I'm so glad that Ron, and there was never much doubt about this, but that he really won it. He really wanted to make his home in Philadelphia, and so he did. Good stuff, and that's coming up next. Tell us your story. Ray and Glenn on 94. Inside the one-yard line, Jaworski retreats. He's looking. He fires the football. Complete the quick. He's going to go. 
pregame warm and throwing the football. I had watch him on TV, but I'm I'm 20 feet from him. I watch him throw the football. I said, I can do that. So I guess yeah, I probably was a little cocky. <laughs> you uh, you were a three star sport in high school, and I guess you even got a, a baseball offer from the Cardinals. And the football offers start coming in because you're a star. And uh, from what I read, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Boston College, big-time programs are looking at you. And you decide, I'm going to go to Youngstown State, which is not of the caliber of those schools. Why that decision? Um, I really didn't decide that. My dad did. And uh, it was probably the one decision I, I, I didn't make in my life that uh, my dad made. It was 100% correct. And, and, you know, coming out of high school, I had a chance to sign with the St. Louis Cardinals as a baseball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming out of college, actually, Cy Williams from the Detroit Lions tried to sign me as well. Uh, but I decided it was it was going to be football at that point. But, you know, I was offered the, the St. Louis Cardinals opportunity. I was 17 years old. And what kid wouldn't want to play professional baseball when you're 17 years old if you have a chance, right? I wanted that opportunity. I was already assigned to Batavia in the New York Penn League. Uh, but my parents, I had an older brother, older sister, neither went to college. And it was really, really important for my parents to see one of their, their kids go to college. So I'm sorry we're getting emotional there, but it was important to them. And they really let me know how important it was for me to go to college. And, you know, I lost that argument, but it's one loss that I really, really relish. But you did have the opportunity to go to schools that were more known for football, Um than Youngstown State. Specifically, why did you become, if I am correct, a penguin? Yes, that is that is correct. And I was <laughs> six foot two and a half, about 160 pounds coming out of Lackawanna High School. <laughs> I, I went and visited all those colleges and saw those programs that they had, and, and, and my body wasn't ready for it. it. It just wasn't, you know, and and actually when we went, to, you know, I visited a number of schools, probably the, 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 my second choice would have been Boston University. Uh, loved what they had up there at that time. But I went to Youngstown, uh, and the coach really recruited my dad. You know, Youngstown was about uh, 200 miles from Lackawanna, New York. We drove down, uh, spent a couple days on campus, and, you know, did the normal tour. Uh, and the head coach really recruited my dad. I spent more time with the defensive coordinator. And as, as we're walking, you know, back to the car uh, to drive back to Lackawanna, my dad says, you know, I really like this place. I think you ought to go here. And as time wore on, I realized that the head coach really worked my dad over pretty good. <laughs> that was a choice I made. Well, um, the other part of it is that your dad um, made sure that before your senior year of high school, um, he he made he made he basically made you go get a job at the steel mill. He ba- he basically wanted to to have you have a fl- have a taste of what that true blue collar life and existence was like. So you got a job at the steel mill, uh, and that was part of the reason why he wanted you to value a college education. Do you really want to spend the rest of your life in a steel mill or in a lumber yard like I am? Go get an education. <laughs> but I know going and working in the steel mill that summer before your senior year wasn't exactly what you had in mind. But your dad insisted that you do it, and you said it really, really paid off. It was life changing. I, I, you know, it, you know, in my hometown of Lackawanna, there were. Uh, 21,000 people in the city, and I think about 19,000 worked at Bethlehem Steel. So that that was just a way of life, you know. I mean, that's what that people didn't aspire to go to college and do great things. It was like, hey, can I become a foreman at Bethlehem Steel? And there was nothing wrong with that. It's just it was different. And uh, so you know, I got the job in the steel mill, and I was actually playing baseball. This was during the summer, and you know, the games would start at six, six fifteen in the afternoon. I would work till five o'clock. My dad would pick me up. 
And man, I was exhausted. You know, I was I was in the roller mill, you know, steel all day and pushing a broom and it was dirty and it was hard work. And you know, every day I'd get in the car and say, you know, oh man, I've had it. I can't keep it in. And he wouldn't. He was relentless. You're going to start the job. You're going to finish it. We're going to play baseball now. You play baseball. Next day you're going to go to the steel mill. You're going to play baseball again. And but he he wanted me to realize. You know that that hard work is really really important, and I did not after after that summer I did not want to go back to the steel mill. You know I wanted to become a professional athlete. And I wanted to get my education first and foremost. Well, one of the things that we always do with all of our interview subjects is we always ask them to tell us about their draft day story. Now you had a terrific career at Youngstown. You went up there and you broke all the passing records, and now comes draft day, and. Um, uh, I've heard you tell the story, but I'll, 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 let, I'll let you tell. You're, you're in. You're, you're uh, lay out the lay out the dorm situation in Youngstown. In fact, there's like one payphone in the whole building, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to me, it's a story I've told times. Uh, you know, covering a draft for ESPN all those years, and you know, uh, you'd sit there and, and, and watch the draft, and, and you know, here I am at, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, up in New York, where hell of different venues, and. You know, you see these guys, you know, pre-draft or in their rooms are getting, you know, $5,000 custom-made suits and, you know, diamond watches and everything <laughs> matches. And they're dressed like, you know, really, really to the nines. They get a limo ride over. They walk in the red carpet. They got all that stuff going on. And it's great. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm thinking back to my day when I was, I was the 37 players selected in the, you know, in the draft. Mm-hmm. And I'm in my dorm room at Cali Hall at Youngstown State University, room 710, the dorm room at the end of the hall with a bunch of my buddies. The draft was held on a Tuesday in February back then. So we're kind of all sitting around in a room. Don't, I have no idea where I'm going to get drafted. You know, some people said fifth round, the third round. I really, you know, I really didn't know. Uh, uh, but fortunately, I played in a senior bowl game and had a good senior bowl game, and it kind of really popped the eyes of a lot of scouts that, hey, I had some potential. So I'm sitting in my room. And I hear the phone ring. It's down the end of the hall. I'm at one end of the hall, and it's the other end of the hall. And it's a pay phone. You know, you got to put money in. Maybe some people don't know what those things are anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the phone that was used by probably, you know, 50 guys on the floor of the dorm. You know? And the phone rings. I hear it ringing. I'm peeking out the door. And a foreign exchange student from Beirut answered the phone. And he yells down the hall, Jaworski, Los Angeles Rams on the phone. <laughs> That's how I found out I was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams. Wow. And I tell that story, people like they can't understand that. You know, people no. nowadays just can't understand how the 37th player in the country found out he was being drafted by that team. So uh, that is great. So, so you go to the Rams, uh, 1973, and you go in, and you're originally a backup. John Hadel is there, the longtime veteran. James Harris, very exciting young player, also former Buffalo Bill, and you're yeah. you're a, a backup, but. Uh, you, you you start games, you start nine games in four years, win them all, get to play in the playoffs against the Cardinals, beat them, but you're kind of stuck there. Um, and I guess you you decide it's or you're hoping to to try to get out of there and get the opportunity. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, I I I had decided I, I was gonna you know not stay in LA and stay with the Rams. That I needed to go to a more stable situation. I was there four years, and you mentioned. You know, John Hadle, James Harris, you can include in the mix Pat Hayden, who uh, was there as well. And I had a great relationship with all those guys, but, you know, the, the organization as a whole could not make a decision on the quarterback. It was, you know, I don't know, like you put a bunch of pieces of paper in a hat and see who's going to be your quarterback this week. They just they couldn't make a decision. And, and, and for me, you know, I had served my time of learning the game. Hey, probably my first or second year, I wasn't ready to be a starter. Uh, but by the third year, I was ready. 
And I, I felt that I was, you know, I, I just wasn't being treated right. I wanted to be the guy, and I think I proved that, you know, in playoff games and winning playoff games, but they couldn't make that decision. So at, at the end of that fourth year, and actually sometime in the middle of that fourth year, as you guys know, Dick Vermeil was then coaching the Eagles. My last year in LA, he was here. He had an old friend of his out in the Valley staying in touch with me to make sure that I didn't sign a contract either with the Rams or at that time the Chargers. This is around Dan Fouts' time as well, and the, and the Bears were really, really trying to sign me. So he wanted to make sure I didn't sign with anybody else. <laughs> so when the season ended, uh, I was recruited like coming out of high school by Dick Vermeil to come to Philadelphia, and it worked out great. Yeah, well, it did, and uh, you're right, Dick. And you had known Dick. You uh, you knew him from L.A., so you had, you had a little experience there. You knew what he represented, and Dick has his first year here in Philadelphia, 76, rump, buff, tough year. He's, and at the end of that year, he decides Roman Gabriel is, you know, he's getting ready to retire. Mike Barilla wasn't his guy. He wants, he's made up his mind he wants to get you. Uh, so everything got, goes into place, and char- they trade the rights to Charlie Young for the rights to you. But you're coming to Philadelphia now, and it, you're right. And it's going to be the opportunity. Dick's going to give you the ball, and you're going to get your chance to play. But there's the memory of what the other time that you had been in Philadelphia, <laughs> which was when you when you came in when you came in with the Rams team to play that Monday night game in '75, and you saw you saw what the vet could be like on a Monday night. It was pretty intimidating. Oh. Uh, it was very intimidating, and it was my first real exposure to Philadelphia fans as an opponent. <laughs> you know, we were on that side, and, and we were beating up the pretty bad tonight. We really had a good team. They did not. And all of a sudden, one of the coaches comes running up the sideline to everybody, put your helmets on, put your helmets on. I'm like, what's going on? All of a sudden, you look around, and these golf balls were coming down from the 700 level. They were throwing <laughs> golf balls at the Rams' sideline. So that was my first indoctrination to, to the Philadelphia fans and, and, and how emotional they were about their football team. And, Ray, I think that was the dog bone game as well. It was. the dog bone behind the bench. So it was just one of those. It, it was a low point, you know, for the Eagles organization, but it was my, really my, my first indoctrination to understanding the passion of the Philadelphia Eagles fans. Well, in your relationship, we'll talk about this more as the show goes on, your relationship with the Eagles fans has always been fascinating to me because some of them booed you back then, and then everybody loved you when you retired. Um, <laughs> Got shipped out of town either way you want to put it. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, nobody ever remembers booing you. It's like, no, we always cheered Jaworski. Uh, you, you're a guy who had two great nicknames. It's tough for most people to get one. You had two. How did Jaws and how did the Polish rifle come about? Well, actually, Youngstown State, I was rifle Ron. So I, I go to Los Angeles, and I guess that wasn't charming enough for the L.A. media. And a, a gentleman by the name of Bud Ferrillo from the uh, Herald Examiner in Philadelphia coined the term the Polish rifle. You know, Jaworski, the rifle arm, blah, blah, blah. And that kind of stuck. And it stuck for probably about the six or seven years till uh, I came to Philadelphia. And Doug Collins, you know, the, uh, the great basketball player and coach, was, was my neighbor. And uh, so, you know, it was probably like the 79, around 79, 80, when the movie Jaws was obviously, uh, you know, very predominant. Mm-hmm. And Doug coined the, the nickname Jaws. And most people thought it was a because of the movie and it's Jaws and Jaworski, blah, blah, blah. And Doug said, no, no, no. I, I, the nickname came from his lips are always slapping. That's where the name Jaws came from. <laughs> so, uh, as he said, I, I couldn't shut him up, so I started calling him Jaws. <laughs> you know? Well, we had we had Doug Collins on uh, to tell us your story. Oh, about a month a month or so ago, we talked we talked about that. We talked about your friendship. But one of the things that Doug talked about, which I thought was it was just a very unique time for sports in this area in Philadelphia, because so many of you guys on all the different teams were all neighbors. 
I mean, you know, you live next door to, to Doug Collins. Mike Schmidt lived down the street. Vince Papali lived around the corner. Gary Dornhofer was like right in the same. And all of you guys were all, you were all friends. You were all buddies. Your families were together. Your wives knew each other. The kids played together. And like the Eagles guys used to go to Flyers games. The Phillies would come to Eagles games. I mean, there was this real sense of sports community here that you guys had right at a time when all the teams were getting good. That was really kind of a golden era in Philadelphia. Well, it was a golden era, in my opinion. You just have to think back to 1980 when all four professional teams in the city were in the championship game. Now, unfortunately, only the Phillies were able to win the World Series where we all had lost. We lost the Super Bowl. The Flyers lost Stanley Cup uh, and, and so on. So, you know, it, 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 it was just cool. I mean, I was a, I'm a sports fan. I still am a, a sports fan. But we all hung out together. You mentioned all the guys that were in. You know, we were in Voorhees, New Jersey, and, you know, when Liz was kind of recruited with me to come here, the wives took her around and showed her, you know, houses and where we should live. So it really was a community of, of the players, the wives. You know, we'd meet at Kaminsky's Tavern on a Friday afternoon. It was kind of like unscripted, but you'd walk in and, you know, uh, Bob Daly would be at the bar and, you know, all the players from, from the Flyers would be there. Occasion Sixers guy would come in, you know, it, the locker room with the vet, you know, we shared the, basically the showers and bathrooms with the Phillies. So I became friends with all those guys and yeah. Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt. So there really was a, a great feeling of community. And obviously, you know, we were winning. It was a great place to be. And, you know, Philly was, was the sports city at the time. I remember yeah. you telling me a story about uh, the fact that there were some games after some, uh, there were after some games when you took a real beating and might have even been the day after the Mike Hartenstein hit, which everybody remembers, when Doug Collins said his phone rang. And it was you calling Doug saying, Doug, could you come over here and help me get dressed? I can't get in my clothes today. I mean, it, I mean, it was literally that kind of relationship. Yeah, there, yeah, there, there were those times. And I'm not sure it was the Hartenstein hit, but there were times where I was pretty, you know, Doug and I and Kathy and his family and Chris and everyone else, we, you know, we did the we were neighbors. You know, we, uh, you know, Matty Gukas would lived around the corner. John Lang was our attorney for a number of years. So, you know, it, there, there was that, that feeling of community and, and we were all on the same team. You know, we were all professional athletes and we helped each other out. Ron Jaworski is our guest. Certainly, you recognize that voice. Uh, we have to break in just a couple minutes, um, but I want to. Th this is something that I, is, I really want to get to. Um, as I was kind of researching this, I, I called up an old NFL Films uh, clip, and it's when you were mic'd up in 1977, and Vermeil is there, and he says, "Listen to me. You never have to worry about me jerking you from a game. Uh, you're my guy. Um, how did Dick Vermeil change you? What What did Dick Vermeil do for you?" Turning point in my career, that, that, that clip. Believe it or not, you know, a, a lot of wonderful things have happened uh, to me in my life, but from a, a football transformation, that was it. Uh, you know, and, and, and you just think back of that season, uh, the Eagles, we weren't very good, but we were getting better. You know, the Eagles hadn't been in the playoffs in like 17 straight years. Can you imagine that now? And, and they, you know, as, as Coach Hart said, they've been changing the quarterback every game, and you can't win in the NFL you know, by changing your quarterback every week. I've got my guy, and he is my guy, and he defended me uh, to the hilt. And, and he said that on the sideline, I'm wired, he's wired, uh, an NFL Films camera there. And it meant so much for me that, you know, it kind of relieved the pressure of, hey, the next throw, if I throw a bad ball, it's going to be picked off or whatever, and the coach is going to jerk me from the game. You know, he had this, the, the utmost confidence in me. I was still learning as a young quarterback, and, and every young quarterback has to play through those mistakes. And get that confidence in yourself. Get that confidence in your offense, especially the head coach. Making that statement meant so much to me, and I knew that that someone had my back. 
and it was critical. Ray, we get time for one more. Okay, yeah, uh, and that was and that was the relationship that you had with Dick, and you talked a lot about uh, what he meant to you as a coach, certainly, but as as really what was sort of a father figure to you because you know you lost your dad at a fairly your dad was only forty nine when he died. Uh, you yeah, were and I, I you were in college, yeah. yeah, and you were nineteen. Yep, I, so uh, I think your dad, you, you told me your dad had a heart attack mowing the lawn or something, and you were away at yep. school and you came home, and um, so that Dick at that point in your life really, I mean, he was your he was your coach, but in many ways he was kind of your father figure at that at that stage yep. of your life. Yep, absolutely right. In fact, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from my mom who, who raised me during that interim period, but. You know, as, as as a guy, you know, I think that father figure. My dad was a you know, he was a tough guy. Um, you know, he he brought me up the right way. He had the right values. And you know, when I lost him, you know, I, I probably went a little bit off that straight and narrow that you need to stay on. Uh, and when I came to Philadelphia, you know, we all know Coach Ramil, and we're all so damn excited to be in Canton in, in August. He's inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was a tough, hard nosed guy. You know. And, and we, you know, we as young people always need that guy that makes sure that we toe the line or you won't going to be around if, if you didn't toe the line and didn't act professionally the way you should act and be a good community person and be a good family man. All those things were important to Dick Vermeil. So he got, hey, Ray, you know this better than anybody. You know how many times I got my butt chewed out <laughs> when, I went, <laughs> when, when I went up and, you know, after one of those days that maybe wasn't your best day, you know, and I, you know, Sid Gillen would walk in the meeting room and say to me, Hey, Josh, consider your ass chewed out, you know? <laughs> what, what? <laughs> Coach, don't want to come down here and chew your ass out. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, that, that's how it was, but I, I knew why. You know, it, it, it wasn't about he wanted to be, you know, he just wanted me to be better. It was that simple, and that tough love really worked. Ron Jaworski is our guest on Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. When we come back, we will talk about the 1980 season and beyond, right here, Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. I am not going to let the fans substitute my quarterback. They've been doing that here for years, and they have never come up with a quarterback that can win for them. I've got one that can win for us. Run, Jaworski! Come here. Come here, now come here. I want you to hear me when I say this. You never have to worry about me jerking you. Come on. Welcome back, Ray and Glenn. Tell us your story Saturday, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. We are thrilled to have Ron Jaworski as our guest and delighted to talk about the 1980 season, one of the best ever for this franchise and for Ron, who personally led the NFC in passing, 27 touchdowns, Maxwell Club Player of the Year. Team goes 12-4. and Let's take it right up to the NFC play the NFC title game, excuse me, against the Cowboys. Ron, what what's the first thing you think of when you think of that day? Uh, I write slot split, forty seven slant, <laughs> Will Montgomery on a second play of the game going to the end zone. It was the loudest I ever heard Veterans Stadium. It, it, it to this day it still resonates in my head. It shook. I mean, the yeah. stadium shook. I mean, I can tell you, being in the press box, the state, the press box actually shook. And I've been in that stadium many, many times, and I had never felt anything like what that stadium felt like when Wilbert broke through that line and ran for the touchdown. It was electric. It really was. It, it was just an amazing feeling. And in fact, you know, the first play of the game, Ray, you may recollect, we ran a play-action play, and we had a potential touchdown, but our protection broke down. Uh, and I, it, it was a great game plan by Coach Vermeil, Coach Corey. You know, and obviously those first two players are always scripted. You're going to get to them because you think you've got opportunities. 
and we had an opportunity on the first play of the game. We, we, we possibly had a touchdown, uh, but I couldn't get the ball to Harold, and I got hit as I threw it. And we had those heating pads, like and I had it in my in my in my pockets in my jersey, and that heating pad with all these chemicals in it broke. Randy White hit me. And he hit me pretty damn good too. And the packs broke. I felt all this burning sensation in my belly because these packs were burning my skin. So it was just one of those weird things. But I already knew what the second play was going to be, as I just called it. You know, I write slot split, you know, 47 slant, because that was the plan, because they were going to come up with their nickel defense. And we knew if we got a crease, Wilbur was going to hit it. And you get Wilbur to crease, he was going to hit it. And it was just like that, that play, that series, once we jumped out in front of them, that game was over. It was over for the Dallas Cowboys. I've talked to other players on the team about that. Actually, Ray and I featured several on this Tell Us Your Story feature. And what they always said was, you know, the Cowboys beat the Eagles for a decade or more. But that day, you guys just – everybody I've talked to said, we knew we were going to win that day. We knew it. Did you have that same confidence? Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, people call it upset. You know, I kind of thought it was a setup. Um, you know, the, the, it was cold. It was maybe the coldest game I ever played. And I think the wind chill was 15 to 20 below. The wind was howling. You know, the Cowboys coming in from Dallas, you know, they, they're not used to that cold weather. Tony Dorsett, as great as he was, uh, didn't like getting hit, didn't like hitting that wonderful turf at, at, at Veteran Stadium, <laughs> you know, that soft cushion. And, you know, our guys gently laid him softly on a turf. You know, they didn't want to hurt him. <laughs> but, but it, it was kind of funny. We Ray, you'd remember we were, we stayed down in Tampa that week because the weather was so bad in Philly. Right. And coach took us to Tampa to try to get some good practices in, and we did. And Wilbur Montgomery was, you know, he was ailing. Wilbur was pretty banged up going into that game, and you know he actually he didn't go through full practice down in Tampa Bay. But by the end of the week, he was flying. I mean, he was flying, and it was kind of a, a feeling. Okay, we can get him. Wilbert is in. Wilbert's going to have a great game. You know, he went through some bumps and bruises early in the week, and we kind of played it. Uh, Wilbert's not doing well. Kind of maybe questionable for the game. Man, when he got that ball, he uh, and in that second play, the Jets were just turned on, and we said, "We got Wilbert. We're healthy. Our defense will stop these guys." They pummeled Danny White. They pummeled Tony Dorsett. Defense played an absolute phenomenal game. The offense did enough to win the game in those tough conditions. But when that game was over. Uh, I, I just remember. I, by the way, I still have the game ball from that game, because wow. when the game ended, uh, it took it took a knee, and I have a picture of the old inquirer took me coming off the field. That ball, two hands around that football, <laughs> always two hands in the ball in that pocket, right? And I said, I'm taking this ball. We just won the NFC Championship. So if anyone says they have the official game ball from the NFC Championship game. There's only one, and I have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this: it was it was the most one-sided twenty to seven game I ever saw. I mean, that one felt more like seventy-seven to seven. I mean, you guys really, really dominated dominated that game, and you described it very well. And then after that game, there was the, just a wonderful party that I, nobody could throw a, to, a party like Leonard Toes, and he threw and he threw he threw a humdinger that night, and everybody went and enjoyed it. Uh, Patty Labelle was there; everybody was there. You guys had a great time. Um, and it was it was just a wonderful time in the city, and everybody celebrated, you know. But then, no, but, well, we, we should have, right? We oh, have. absolutely. I mean, I was the, we beat the Dallas Cowboys, who's, as as we all know, they were our target. You know, we we were tired of hearing about the Dallas Cowboys from Dick Vermeil. I mean, we, we hey, you know, and we respected the Cowboys. It wasn't like you know any, anything but respect. They were the team we had to beat 
if we were going to become you know, a good football team, a great football team, we had to beat the Cowboys. And that night when we beat the Cowboys to NFC Championship game, we felt to a certain degree we had arrived and accomplished our goal. So well, that, you, go ahead, Ray. That's what I was just going to say. Does that now? But now you've got another game to play. You know, now you've yep. you've really climbed the mountain. You've beaten the team that you wanted to beat. You've celebrated with your fans. But now you just got to go down to New Orleans and play one more game. And you run into an Oakland Raider team that was a wild card team, but really good. You had played them during the regular season, and it was a brutally tough game. I mean, you won it, but it was a struggle at the vet. Uh, and then you go out and and you lose that game and. Uh, I, I'm just wondering. I mean, you've had you've had all this time to think about it. And I know you have. Is there any way you could dissect that game when you go back and look at it and see, you know, where it, where it kind of got away from you and what might have been the reason for it? Well, I, I'll tell you this: I have never looked at the game tape of that game. As much as I am a wonk for my film study, I, I just haven't pulled the tape of that game out. I've replayed every game in my mind probably a thousand times. Um, it, it just wasn't our day. I made some mistakes in that game. Uh, the one I would take back, and, and I tell every, you know, my ESPN career, when I would talk to the Peyton Mannings, the Eli Mannings, and guys like that, you know, at Super Bowls, they, they would talk to me about my experience. I said, guys, I'm going to be blatantly honest with you. Let the game come to you. I think I wanted to win the game like we all did so bad. We played a little bit out of character. Uh, you know, the first pass I threw was intercepted. It was a play that I had seen probably 25 times during the season, maybe more. I should have taken Wilbert in the flat, and I tried to squeeze it in John Spagnola, and obviously Rod Martin picked it off. And, you know, that, that kind of set the tempo for the game. They took an early lead in the game. We felt we had to play catch-up. But at the end of the game, we, we got away from what we did best, and that was run the football and play action passing. And we, we never got the running game going to the point where we could stay on schedule, and we were just playing catch-up the whole game. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give the Raiders all the credit in the world. They beat us, but, you know, I've spoken to Jim Pluckett. I, I've, I've spoken to Matt Millen. You know, they felt they felt that we didn't play our best game. We felt we didn't play our best game. I think most people would say we were the better team, but we weren't the better team on Super Bowl Sunday. All right, Ron, I want to play a little game here because uh, I want to get some names in this. I'm going to throw oh. you the, the name of somebody. Just give me 15 seconds on each one. You ready? Try me. W- Wilbert Montgomery. My guy, number 31, uh, Still one of my dearest friends. We communicate on a regular basis. I mean, uh, that guy was special. Plain and simple. Sixth-round draft choice, special. Stan Walters. My man, Stan. Where's I remember most about Stan? He was the fastest guy off the field at halftime at 310 pounds because he went to the locker room to get a cigarette. <laughs> Bill Berge. <laughs> Bill old Bubba, man. If, there, if, there, if there's a guy – that was the the anchor of our defense through the Vermeil era. It was Bubba, man. Bubba played with a ferocity that uh, we just don't see anymore. That downhill linebacker just loves to stroke people. Harold Carmichael, my guy. I got a lot of guys. Yes, you that, do. Uh, yeah, one of one of my finest moments personally was seeing Harold Carmichael inducted into the Hall of Fame. Special guy, Leonard Toes. <laughs> Everyone loved Leonard Toast. I, I wish there were more owners nowadays like there were with Leonard Toast. Uh, he was different. He was unique. But, man, did he love the Eagles. Uh, let me do two more. Mike Quick. 99 yards, 2 feet, 11 inches, weak eye right, firm 818 flat check, the longest pass play in the history of the National Football League. He's a driver, 9 iron from my house. 
I see Mike on a regular <laughs> basis. <laughs> All right, and I'm going to start transitioning toward the, your later years with the Eagles with Randall Cunningham. Oh, Randall. I, I, Randall and I still communicate on a regular basis. Um, when Randall came in, the, the most raw talent I had ever seen, ever seen. And, may, and maybe to this day, still the best talent I've seen at the quarterback position. And as much as Buddy Ryan helped him, Buddy Ryan hurt him because Randall needed to be disciplined in his game. He needed a coach that would be a hard ass like Dick Real was to be. And Buddy Ryan was a coach that would say, hey, we just need Randall to go out there and make three or four plays a game and we'll win. That's not how you win on a consistent level in the National Football League. It's the reason when Buddy Ryan and Randall Cunningham got to the playoffs, never won a playoff game. There wasn't enough discipline and structure in the football team, particularly on the offensive side. Buddy was as good as there ever was on the defensive side, but the offense he ignored. Ron, I remember. I just wanted to take one more uh, look back at the at the at the Super Bowl, and I remember that uh, you did an interview. You, you came over and did an NFL Films interview with Steve Sable, which was a terrific interview. You sat with Steve for about an hour and talked about your life, doing a lot of the same kind of things we're doing right now. And Steve asked you about um, the pain of losing that Super Bowl after everything you guys had accomplished and how hard you had worked to get there, the pain that you felt that day in the Superdome when you lost that game. And you said something I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget. You said, yeah, it hurt that day, but, you know, it hurts worse now. Yeah. And, and, no and, and, you know, and your explanation was, because that day, yeah, it hurt, but we always thought that next year we'll get a chance or the next year we'll get a chance, and we never did. And now today... I know we're never going to get that chance, and so the pain is actually worse today. Exactly right. It's, it's, it's still painful. You know, as, as a young quarterback, we're a young football team. I mean, Dick Vermeil had built what we thought was a juggernaut. And, you know, hey, we lost that game. And no question. I mean, there's an incredible pain, uh, negative feeling. I'm, we, we, we thought we were going to win the game. Zachary, you know the stories before the game. You know, we stayed at the hotel down there, the Hilton by the airport. You know, our last meeting on Saturday night before the Super Bowl – uh, Woody Hayes addressed our football team, the legendary Ohio State football coach. Dick Vermeule gets up and talks again after Woody Hayes. And he says, we will be back in this room tomorrow night as the world champions. We were confident as hell. I mean, we were confident we were going we to hoist that Vince Lombardi trophy. It didn't happen. And, yes, we were, we were devastated it didn't happen. But in the back of our mind, we felt that, hey, we were a good young team. We started out the next season. It's actually 6-0, and and things fell a little bit apart there. The 82 player strike destroyed Dick Vermeil, destroyed the Eagles organization, destroyed the camaraderie we had built for a number of years. And, and I think we were building a dynasty until that player strike happened. But because we lost that Super Bowl, never had a chance to keep that team together moving forward. Yeah, it, it still bothers me more than ever now. So much to cover. Uh, let, let's move ahead post-player strike into the Buddy Ryan era. He comes in. And we mentioned Randall. He wants to try the young guy, and the, he has this strategy of third down. You're the quarterback until it's third and long, and Randall comes in. That had to annoy you to no end. <laughs> the hardest down in football, he brought in the young quarterback that wasn't ready to handle the hardest down in football. You know, and uh, I still remember him saying, I, I remember him accounts of him saying, you know, when he started doing that, I was going to be doing this. Well, you know, no one's ever done it since then, but that, 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 that's irrelevant. But I, I can, I, you know, I know he wanted to give Randall some plays in the field, and that certainly was to his advantage to get him in the field, but not in the toughest down in football. And I think to a certain degree, it may have set Randall back a little bit. You know, and, and, and 
you know, the buddy thing for you ends. He decides he's going to turn the thing over. He lets a lot of the veteran guys go. A lot of Dick's guys go. You go. John Spagnola goes. You go on. And you go to Miami, uh, and you're the backup to Dan Marino. But you get the opportunity uh, in that next preseason to come back to the to come back to the vet a preseason game, but still you're coming back to the vet um, in that in the Dolphin uniform, and you come on the field and you got a standing ovation, and it was a real genuine. You don't see many standing ovations in preseason games, but you but you got a but you got a real one, and I know your whole family was there, and Liz was there, and the kids were there, and for all the tough times that you had with the fans, and all the times you were booed, to be welcomed back like that must have been a really warm feeling. Well, it, it certainly was a great feeling. It's it, 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 it's typical to Philly fans, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, it, they can boo you, but only they can boo you. You know, it's, it's almost like a, a a sign of respect. And I think it was a respect for the all the good times, the ten years, you know, that I played for the Eagles and it gave everything I had. It may have not brought a Super Bowl, but it brought a lot of good wins. It brought a lot of good memories. But uh, I think it was they're they're just appreciating the effort I I made for ten years. So uh, that was really really important to me. It felt really good, and it's funny because Don Shula in that game, the first play of the game, he called a play-action deep comeback to Mark Duper on the right sideline, and I probably threw the best laser in the history of my career right in front of Buddy Ryan, who basically <laughs> decided to get rid of me. I was like, I was like take this, coach. <laughs> Fans remembered you for a couple things. Um, you were tough. I mean, you got hit and you got up, and I think that – they maybe later, maybe begrudgingly, but accepted you for that. I, I, I don't really know what the question, except you t- uh, you took a lot of Lawrence Taylor, uh, uh, what um, Charles Mann. I'm just trying to remember those guys who were on your back. Well, the one that everybody Mike remembers Hartenstein. is Mike Hartenstein. Yeah, Mike Hartenstein. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, yeah. Ron, you, you, you are remembered for being a real tough guy. I, I guess there's some gratification in that, right? Well, no question. I, availability was very important to me. I needed to be the guy on the field. If your quarterback is a wuss, what the hell is your team? You know, I mean, you got to get up and you got to play. You got to be a leader, and you know that. That's why Vermeil wanted me on that field. That's why he supported me the way he did. Uh, it, you know, that 116 game consecutive streak that I I had, you know, was broken about I don't know about 15 years later by Favre. Um, yes. You know, I, I mean, we're talking about an era where the quarterbacks got hit, guys. You know, I mean, we're we're talking about a, a, a different era than we are now, where you could go 200 games. You know, a bunch of guys have gone 200 games. So I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be on the field. I knew it was important to me. You know, in fact, you know, when Brett Favre broke my record, uh, Ronald Wolf brought me to Green Bay, and they stopped the game after the first play uh, and recognized me and came up field. Uh, to take the ball away from Brett Favre, so you know things like that are, are meaningful. You know to be on to be on the field every snap, to be there with your teammates, win or lose, to show that hey, you're all in this together. So yes, th- that streak was very important to me, and you know, I took a lot of beatings. I kept getting up, and and it, you know, it, 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 it's a lesson. You know, I, I, to me, it's a lesson a lot of people see. If you want to make something yourself, man, you're going to get knocked down. You got to get up and fight. Yeah, there's no there's no question about that. I um. And everybody remembers the streak, and everybody remembers the poundings that you took, and everybody remembers the booing that you endured. And the thing that I think one of the things that uh, that the fans really admired, and I know that your teammates, one of the reasons that your teammates loved you so much, was that toughness and the fact that you were always you were always going to be there for them. And on when the offensive line wasn't very good, and you were taking a pounding, you never pointed your finger at them. 
And when the fans booed you on the times that they booed you, which they did, you never turned on them and said, what are they, you know, what are they booing about? You know, oh, that's the gratitude that I get. I mean, you never once turned it around or pointed your finger at anybody else. If ever the finger well, had the, to be pointed, you pointed it at yourself. There, there, there was, well, this, this is kind of a, a good example of, of, you know, dealing with what you have to deal with. Um, Buddy Ryan era, uh, Ted Plum's our offensive coordinator. You know, there's a timeout. You know, the, the offense is ready to run in the field. So we start running in the field, 11 guys, right, running the field. All of a sudden, Ted Plum calls me back. And I'm not having a good day. The offense is having a good day. So I figured, okay, if 11 guys run on the field, you get booed. They're, they're booing 11 guys, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, I get called back. 10 guys run out. I begin to run out. And the booze begin to ring. You know, boo. So I, okay, I, guess, they're, I guess they're booing me, right? <laughs> so I get Look at uh, Jerry Fury's our center, and I'm looking at Jerry, and I'm also looking at nine other guys. So now there are ten guys, twenty eyeballs looking at me. Right? They hear this crowd booing. It, it, to me, it was a test. What, what are these guys thinking right now? So they're looking at me in the huddle. I got the huddle. I looked up at all of them. I kind of perused around, looked at their eyeballs. I said. They still love me, guys. Let's go. <laughs> and that's the way you have to deal with it. Yeah. You know, they knew what. But if I came in there like some some wilting flower, like oh, whoa, it's me. You know, well, what are they going to think? You know, so I made a joke of it, and everybody loved it. I think we joked for a touchdown. Ron, uh, we have really just a couple minutes left and, and so much to cover. As Ray said, you went to the Dolphins. Uh, you went to the Chiefs in 89, your last season. Then you came back here, and you did so much. Your post-football career could be a whole other episode of this. You had the broadcasting career, the golf club, your involvement with the Philly Soul, uh, a big part of the community. Um, what does Philadelphia mean for you kind of, you know, in, in your life after your career? Well, it, it, it's essential. I mean, uh, you know, when we came here from Los Angeles, this became home. Uh, we raised our kids here, and I was seven, seven grandsons, no daughters, no granddaughters. Wow. I have two daughters and a son, but all grandsons. So uh, four more, we might have a football a football team. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, you know, this is this is home. It's it, it, it's really simple. You know, when I retired, obviously, you know, uh, terrific at ESPN for thirty years. Um, I love that, but I, I also love the business I've been able to develop in this community. You know, you guys know my foundation has been very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jaws Youth Playbook. We've raised over six million dollars for at-risk youth in our community six million dollars i'm very proud of that we built ball fields up in huntington park ventnor new jersey millville new jersey giving uniforms to kids shoulder pads to kids cheerleaders uniforms concession stands but astroturf on fields that were mud and dirt so the foundation has done a lot for at-risk kids in our community that, that i am really proud of and i can't thank the supporters and sponsors that i've had through the years that share the same values that myself and my family share you know, I was looking up a, a story that I wrote about you uh, at the tail end of your, well, actually it was, it was just a few years ago, and I wrote that Ron identifies with the city, with its people, with the row houses and the blue-collar work ethic that are as much a part of Philadelphia as Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. He was a fit for the town in the 10 seasons that he played for the Eagles, and he's still a fit today. And I think that really does, I think it really does apply. And when you I mean, you felt like you were coming to a good situation when you came to Philadelphia. You liked the coach. You thought you had a chance to get a chance to play. But, I mean, your, your arrival in Philadelphia became so much more than you could have ever imagined. I mean, here you are now, and, I mean, even though you, <laughs> you were born in upstate New York, you went to college in, in Ohio, you finished your career in Kansas City, but, I mean, you're as Philly a guy as a Philly guy could be. 
Well, because it was my home, and I, and I think that, that that means a lot to me and my family. And I, I think, you know, if, if you look through the history of it, uh, you know, how many great players in this town have left, you know, and, and didn't make this their home, did, didn't raise their kids here, raise their grandkids here, give back to the community, run businesses here. You know, I, I have over 400 employees in, in my golf company. 400 people have jobs because of, because of what I've done. I don't mean it arrogantly, but if I went back to Buffalo, those 400 jobs wouldn't be here in Philadelphia. So, you know, I, I believe in those things. I, I believe in, you know, building a, a, a strong business community and giving back in that regard. Well, and you have. And final question, what did, did it mean to you, Ron Jaworski, when those years later, you as a member of the community, you as alum of the Eagles, you as somebody who's kept ties to uh, the NFL through broadcasting, what did it mean to you when the Eagles finally did win that Super Bowl? <laughs> well, my wife and I and, and all my grandkids were at the game. Um, we were about the 50-yard line of something near a, a lot of wonderful people that were Eagle fans, and I, uh, some very high-profile people. And I looked around, and I never saw so many tears. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Well, that is great. And uh, <laughs> listen, we've, uh, we're delighted to have you as our guest on Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Ron Jaworski, you are a treasure, and we appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Love working with you. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Always a pleasure. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.